3 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. That can only mean one thing. It's time to go inside the electric factory for the next three hours here on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. He is Chris Carter. I am Wesley Euler. This is Steelers Blitz on SNR. What's happening, Chris? I'm doing great, Wes. How you doing, my brother? Well, you know, I was doing better until I saw you today. And what I mean by what that... Did, what did I do to you? I, no, no, I see. I know people might think that that's pretty harsh at first. But it's actually just in the way that you made me f- make myself feel. Uh, folks, I know that this is radio, okay? So this is a uh, this is an audio medium yes, here, Chris, right? Yes, uh, yes. Newsflash, right? The people cannot see us right now. Uh-huh. Uh, unless they're, they're spying on <laughs> I hear the I hear the Jaws, have, I hear the Jaws music oh God, coming again. again. Um, no, ladies and gentlemen, right now, if you could see us, if this were not radio, um, one of us is dressed. I mean, very nicely. Uh, one one of us is is looking like a proper gentleman, and the other one of us is dressed like a bum. <laughs> I'll give you one option or one guess, part of me, uh, to, 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 to determine which is which. Uh, but no, I am fantastic. I am wearing a T-shirt. Chris is dressed to the nines. I, I mean, just again, what else is new? You know, I mean, just just one of us always outperforming the other one. Oh, just just to be clear, this was that this was not me trying to stunt no. on you. This was me doing a, a, a shoot for our halftime adjustment show on WPXI now, their app that you can get on any smart TV. Uh, you can check that out tonight at 7.30. Myself and Albie Oxenrider talking some more Steelers football there. If you like to see videos on a midweek checkup, you, normally it's Dayon Kovacevic, my good boss at DKPittsburghSports.com, who does it. But when he when he's, when he can't do it because he's the boss man, he's got a million things on his mind, I step in and I try to do my best to you know play, play a relief pitcher there. And that's what you do. I mean, you are the hardest working man in Pittsburgh Thank media, you, baby. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Um... Let me ask you this simple question for you today, for us to uh, to get started, to uh, you know, to get our feet wet here today. Okay. If I could only guarantee you that one of the following two guys—I got one guy for you on offense, one guy for you on defense—if I could only guarantee you that one is going to just have a dynamite, you know, Pro Bowl caliber, All Pro caliber type season. Okay. Okay. Two names. You can only pick one for a guaranteed fantastic year. Would you go with James Conner? Or would you go with Devin Bush? Ooh, that's tough. Mm. I would say Devin Bush because an all like an all time fantastic year from him would make this defense truly unstoppable. I think that James Conner can have a decent James Conner year, a twenty eighteen type of year, and the offense will be just fine. But I think that if Devin Bush has an ace type of year, it puts a charge into this defense. That makes them the, hmm. the most feared group in the NFL. The pump them up higher, make them that much more unstoppable. If you're telling me that now we're talking about on top of him leading the Steelers in tackles last year, I think he had 109. No Steelers rookie has had more than that in the Kevin Colbert era. Um, you look at you look at that. If you're telling me he's going to do more than that in the two interceptions and the and the forced fumble and the recovered fumbles, I think he took part in six different turnovers last yeah, year. That sounds right. You if you're telling me he does significantly more than that. Oh, hallelujah! Get, the, <laughs> get 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 the playoff tickets ready, y'all. If 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 people are allowed to attend playoff games, it would be insane for this defense. It it, it might be if Devin Bush is that good, if he's that elite, this could be the shaping of the greatest defense we've seen since the Steel Curtain. And I'm saying that over the 2008 team because I think mm. Mink is that special. I think the cornerbacks are that good. I think that. 
TJ Watts that special, Bud Dupree's that special, Cam Hayward's that special, Stephon Tewitt's that special. If we get and then there's plenty of role players like Mike Hilton and Vince Williams and Terrell Edmonds who do a Cam very good Sutton. job. Cam Sutton's another one. I mean, you can keep going down that list. Yeah. Um, there's so, so many guys in the roster that I don't I don't have a spot on that roster where I'm like, eh, I hope that they don't find him in the offense. Um, no, if Devin Bush has that kind of a year, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, I think that's the way I lean too. I mean, it, it. I could obviously certainly argue the other way, right? If we wanted to do the whole the whole embrace debate thing, um, I, I do think it's an interesting conversation mm-hmm. in terms of how you view their roles within their units as well, too, because you kind of looked at it as, all right, man, this defensive unit is already elite. Mm-hmm. If you you know if you get uh, an A plus Devin Bush, then maybe you know you're you're teetering on an all time defense as you alluded to there. Whereas you know if you look at James Conner in that same regard, you know within the unit of the offense, right? Is it still going to be Ben's offense? Are they still going to try and spread the ball around? Very good point. Um, now, hey, if James Conner were to to go out there and you know have a first half of the season that was you know on uh, uh, a well over 1,000 yard rush season trajectory, mm-hmm. um, you know, averaging you know up towards triple digits in, in rush yards per game. I think that that conversation could change. But I, as much as we all have clamored over the past year plus for that run pass ratio to come down a little bit, I, I still think it's going to stay in the high, you know, mid to high 60s in terms of the percentage of the time that the Steelers are passing going forward. I just think that's who they are. That's that's kind of what they are at this point, right? So I could definitely take that position too, like you just kind of alluded to, in the sense that maybe you know, regardless, the the run game is just kind of its its set definition within the Steelers' offense. Mm-hmm. The depth, though, is I think what really makes me lean towards Devin Bush in this conversation. What kind of you know that that the puts it over yep. the edge for me yep. is if Devin Bush doesn't have a great season at inside linebacker, Vince Williams is really. The only other commodity there, yeah, I know there, there there's some young guys, and the Steelers have brought in some guys, and, and and some guys are getting looks. But in terms of guys that we feel confident can play snaps on Sundays, uh, there's two guys there at the interior linebacker position right mm-hmm. now. I mean, it, it, it's mm-hmm. it's Devin Bush and it's Vince Williams. Anybody else other than that that's getting any spin? I'm not saying they don't belong, anything like that. I'm just saying we're not nearly as confident as anybody else behind Agreed. behind those two. Agree. At running back. There's some guys that we think can play and can contribute on Sundays. That to me is the clear difference. You know, mm-hmm. you you've got um, you've got Benny Snell, obviously, who we saw what he was able to do last year on his rookie year, transform the body type coming in this year. Uh, I think we're all very excited for that sophomore year for Snell and, and the the step forward that he could take. You use a fourth round pick on Anthony McFarland. You still got Jalen Samuels. You added Wendell Smallwood. I, I mean, Kareth White's still still there. Uh, you 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 have Derek Watt now as well, too, fullback. But you know, in that same kind mm-hmm. of, of family, there, there's a lot you can do with that running back position if things don't work out this season for James Conner. Things don't work out for Devin Bush. There's not you got Vince Williams and not a lot of other options there. That's the difference to me. Right. There's no there's no star lined up behind him now. Dale Lawley, our buddy that's on SNR, he wrote an, a really good article for DKPittsburghSports.com 
uh, yesterday about Ulysses Gilbert and how he's been stepping up in practice. We heard yesterday on the show here that uh, Jerry Osofsky talking about you know the linebackers and what he's seen the progress out of Gilbert. He looks like a good young linebacker that's you know from a sixth round draft pick to figuring his way out into the depth chart. But you're right, if Devin Bush goes down, it it severely limits what this defense can do because he's a huge piece in the middle that that plugs up so much. What say you? Uh, more important, or not even more important, that's the wrong way to word it. If you could only guarantee one to have a, again, a Pro Bowl caliber, an all-pro type season, who would you pick? Devin Bush or James Conner? Tell us who and tell us why on Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at Carter Critiques. Uh, we're going to hear from Mike Tomlin today after Steelers practice. We got more going on in that regard. You know, Tra- the training camp portion I, is officially over, but still practicing leading up to the regular season. I don't know what they're going to label it, Chris. It, it, it'll probably look very similar. I don't think they're at Heinz Field anymore. They are now down on the south side, I believe. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Um, so so we, will, uh, we will hear from Mike Tomlin after practice. We will also uh, have some, bring you some other audio here on the show over the next uh, two hours and 45 minutes. Get those tweets rolling in. Our coverage continues. Chris Carter, Wesley Euler, it's Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Steelers Blitz on SNR, Wes Euler, Chris Carter in for Arthur Motes all week with us here on the Blitz. If you're not following him, make sure you are on Twitter at Carter Critiques. He is part of the SNR family here. I also wanted to remind everybody, and I don't do this very often, all right, because what I'm about to do here is going to uh, maybe take some ears potentially away from the show around 4.30. <gasps> what are you doing? But I want to remind everybody, all right, that uh, at 4.30 today, a chance to chat with Mike Hilton. Another SNU huddle, all right, another Steelers Nation Unite huddle today at 4.30. Remember, all you got to do, download the Steelers app on your phone, create a fan profile, mobile fan profile, and you will have the opportunity to potentially chat with Mike Hilton and ask him a question, all right? Now, that's your only excused absence, all right? You can you can duck out for like 10, 15 minutes, all right? Ask your question to Mike, listen to him talk. Then you come back, all right? You make sure you download the podcast, uh, you know, at Steelers Blitz, wherever you get your podcasts, of course, and catch up on what you missed. Uh, but today at 4.30, another uh, Steelers Nation Unite call, um, this time with Mike Hilton. We are standing by awaiting uh, Mike Tomlin's post-practice comments. That should be coming here mm-hmm. uh, at any moment as uh, the, uh, you know, our, our kind of first indicator that uh, that Mike Tomlin is close by is when the, the press conference feature on the website launches. So we are good to go there. Not live on Twitter and Facebook yet, though. That's kind of the final indicator that we're usually like 30 to 90 seconds away. So still standing by uh, for Coach Tomlin. A reminder that our coverage here, Steelers coverage on SNR, is brought to you by PNC Bank. PNC Bank is the official bank of the Pittsburgh Steelers. In case you missed it on training camp live, and shame on you for six weeks, if so. Uh, reminder, training For shame. 
<laughs> Reminder, training camp live uh, around 1.15 every day. The Steelers practice with Missy Matthews. She's usually joined by either Mike Pursuta or Tunchokin or Craig Wolfley. You know, one, one, of, those, one of those fine, swell gentlemen um, to cover the first, you know, 40 minutes, 45 minutes or so of Steelers practice. Um, so in case you missed training camp live today, uh, here is what you missed. David DeCastro not out on the field for practice. So continue uh, – some questions around DeCastro's availability here as uh, he continues not to really be uh, the most active of participants not out on the field today. No pads for Stefan Wisniewski or Chris Boswell, so they were there getting some work in, but not in uh, in full padded participation. And then also, as I read my notes here from Missy Matthews, Cam Canada and Anthony McFarland were back in pads today, so that is your Steelers uh, news from camp. Any concern, Chris, in your mind uh, around David DeCastro, or is that maybe just, you know, with no preseason games, with kind of the condensed timeline of this offseason, they're going to be extra cautious with guys, and, and guys are going to have soft tissue things. That's to be expected. Uh, or, or you know, is, is maybe the fact that he has added up, a, a stacked a few absences here. Mm-hmm. Um, any cause for concern there in your mind? The coaches, uh, Mike Tomlin had said before, that these, this is minor and it's something they're just moderate, monitoring. You know, the fact that it's not, you know, something that he's definitely out with, it's something that he's working on, that tells me that they're just taking it easy. It's something that raises your eyebrows for sure, but it's not something that I'm going to, to hit the panic button on. Because if hmm. David DeCastro is out for the season, hit that panic button, hit the let the red alert sing out. <laughs> this is a big deal because, to me, I honestly think he's the best player on the offense. Even with Ben Roethlisberger, I think that David DeCastro is the best at his job of anyone on that off- in that offense, hmm. just of how good of a right guard he is. Just, I love studying him, him and his yeah. work. But um if he's out that's a major problem but again the fact that he's you know he's trying to come back they're taking it easy their problem is him saying david relax we know that you're going to be great once you get out there <laughs> yeah. just don't get hurt don't don't you know re-aggravate anything don't push it too much and the steelers need him to be healthy so i think it's just them taking it e- taking it easy making sure like hey don't don't do nothing we still got another week and a half before game time yeah i i think that's a good call by you for sure <sighs> I like what you said there, though. I think that's fair. The most talented, uh, the, or the what was the wait? What was the exact terminology? The the best, right? Or did you say the, the, the best the, player? The, on the best Steelers player at his, at his position, position in in the Steelers' offense because you know, Ben Roethlisberger is the most important, no doubt. Uh, most but, accomplished and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you could probably say you know there's guys who are more electric or whatever. Sure. But sure. David DeCastro is just a one at blocking his gap pulling and hitting somebody, dominating the spot, and being an enforcer for that offense. I mean, even in his young days, back in like, it was like 2013 when they went up against the Panthers, and I think it was Luke Kuechly hit Ben yeah. a little late, and, and who was the first person right to the pile but David DeCastro to get Luke Kuechly? Who was the person always just drilling Vontez perfect, letting him know what the business <laughs> was? It was David DeCastro. He is that guy for this for this team. He's been that guy. And he even puts the Steelers in check, too. After Juju's big hit on perfect, I was there in the press box covering it for DK Pittsburgh Sports, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking, and you know, Juju's like celebrating afterwards, and he's and he's getting a little rowdy. DeCastro grips him up. You don't, you can't hear what he says, but you just see that he pulls Juju close to him mm. and throws him away. And Juju kind of is like, okay, I get it. I, I need to calm down. Right. I, need to, I need to get back my get my head back in the game. And and then the Steelers went on to win that game. 
that's that's David DeCastro, man. They they need him not just for the for the play that he has, but for the leadership, the kind of the kind of this the quiet leadership that he does on the field. I think that's a good call by you, Christopher Carter. As we stand by here, we await Mike Tomlin's post uh, practice comments. Uh, there was a, another day of work for Terrell Edmonds today too, which is a good sign uh, for him after uh, from or pardon me after returning earlier uh, to practice earlier in the week. Chris, I'm uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm a little. I'm like I'm stuttering here. I, I'm a little like I don't. I, I think we're getting ready to go to Coach T, but I'm not sure. So, like, I'm at that weird phrase where I'm c- trying to walk this tightrope, right? Of like, do I dive into another topic? But I don't want to dive into another topic and then have to bomb out of it, you know, 90 seconds later when we just barely skim the surface. We, we need that Monty Python uh, interlude music. Come on. I understand where you're at. But, I mean, the fact is... <laughs> exactly. Mike Tom is going to give us a heads up here. I, I anticipate a similar, you know, someone's going to ask about DeCastro. He's going to give a similar similar thing here. Um, I, again, I think it's going to be played down. I want to I hear, they said Anthony McFarlane's back in practice. I want to see how yeah. he's doing because I keep hearing really good things about what he's doing. Uh, and, and, you know, Tripp made a, a good point. Uh, Mike Perzuta. You know, coming out, you know, coming, you know, during the break, uh, you know, his 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 hit that he did about how Chase Claypool has been, you know, mentioned in nine of the ten practice reports that 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 have been out. I want to hear, did he did he light it up again? Did he crush people today? Did 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 he leap tall buildings in a single bound? You know, like you know, I you know, I want to hear that kind of stuff yes. from Coach Tom because because Coach Tom like he likes to praise, but he also likes to put people in check. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm also I'd also be interested to see like you know what's the Steelers secondary like in challenging him. I know that that they may be excited for him, they may be saying he's going to be a problem, but I know there's, there's also mm. a bit of pride that it's probably like, okay, oh, sure. we're going to show this rookie what it's like to be in the NFL and to go up against the Steelers cornerbacks. Yeah, and it's funny. I, it feels like, you know, that was one of those things. We got a tweet about this. I think it was on Friday, Moats and I did, about how, you know, like Ben sounds like in his interviews that he's got a little something to prove in the sense of like, yeah, I know the defense is amazing, and that's awesome, but I still got it. Too. You know what I mean? Like, And you're right. Mm-hmm. When you have no preseason games, when you now are trying to accelerate this whole process, right, of getting ready for the regular season in a condensed timeline with a lack of offseason programs, I bet you that fiery nature, that competitive side, like those guys need to find that edge. Yep. You know what I mean? Like you're not getting to line up against anybody else uh, in four preseason games. Your training camp, your offseason programs have been very weird. There's a lot of pent up energy there. There's a lot of guys that are trying to prove themselves in a short time for playing time, for 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 roster spots, for things of that nature. And uh, and yeah, there's some pride, there's some competition out there. I think that is a very good thing there that you just touched on Mr. Carter. Uh let's t- let's do this. I think we are now I think we're I think we're really close here. But I still think it's going to be probably about another 4 or 5 minutes before Mike Tomlin speaks. So let's do this. Let's get to our second break of the hour okay. so that we can have that out of the way. Then we'll come back and when coach speaks we can listen to the uh the full media availability as well as uh, react to some of, have plenty of time to react to some of the things he said as well. So we'll do that. He's Chris Carter. I'm Wesley Euler. You are listening to Steelers Blitz. We'll hear from Mike Tomlin on the other side right here on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, Steelers Nation Radio. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. What timing? We go live right now to Mike Tomlin. 
Good afternoon. Um, had a good uh, mock East end season Wednesday, if you will, today. Just wanted to take them through uh, the structure of a day that's that's end season Wednesday like in terms of some pre presentation of base game plan materials, talking about significant matchups versus a potential opponent. Um, we did drills that we normally do on Wednesday. We added to that. We had some more transitional things. We we feel like we need additional work between getting the offense and defensive unit off the fields and special teams units on the field. That is a big component of preseason football, gaining fluidity in that area. And so we're paying respect to these unusual uh, circumstances by getting additional work in that area in the practice setting. We'll continue to do that. Um, we don't want to get into stadiums here in regular season football and have issues relative to 11 on the field as we transition from group to group. So, uh, getting some work there, um, continuing to get some guys uh, back who are missing from a short-term day-to-day like standpoint. Um, Anthony McFarland was back at work today. Uh, Cam Sutton wasn't able to finish. He's being evaluated. Don't expect that to be anything significant. And others are just continuing to push forward. I'll be happy to address any questions you might have. First up, Mike Pursuta. Mike, go ahead. Mike, did you work specific giant stuff today? Had you done that previously? And given the changes with their staff, how do you identify what to work on? We weren't necessarily focused specifically on the Giants, even though we went through a mock structured game, um, regular season game Wednesday. Uh, we were still just focused on our high volume things, things that we can execute in really all circumstances. There are a lot of unknowns about the Giants, it's the first game. There's no preseason. There are new staffs. Uh, so the things that we focus on in environments like this better be things that we can execute regardless of circumstance. And really, that's what a, that was our focus. It was more about us and our ability to perform. Next up, Mark Caboli. Mark, go ahead. Hey, Mike, it seemed like you were trying to ramp up Connor a little bit today, give him a little extra workload. Is that just part of the process? And what have you seen from him over these three, four weeks? You know, it wasn't anything conscious in terms of ramping up his workload. Man, James has had a good camp and, and has done good work. We've removed him from some of the tackle football in terms of team run. But that, that's not about him. That's just to get more exposure to some of the younger guys that we know less about, to check the evolution of Benny Snell, to, to get to know Anthony McFarland, if you will. So that's kind of been our focus. It's been a good preseason for him. We expect that guy to be ready to go. Uh, he came in highly conditioned. He's a professional and we're excited about uh, getting him the ball. Dale Lawley. Dale, go ahead. Uh, Mike, uh, tomorrow we'll mark uh, a week out from the uh, official start of the regular season. Are, are you feeling like there's some light at the end of the tunnel here and that you, you kind of relieved a little bit that, that, that you made it through this part of, the, of this uh, situation? I don't even know if I've looked at it that way. I've just been trying to have really good days and, and maximize that. Um, there's a certain unknown in this environment, and, I respect that, and, and more than anything, uh, we try to focus on making the days that we do have productive with the knowledge that we're pushing forward toward real football, and I think all of us have had that mentality since July 21st or whatever when we when we checked into this process. All right, since nobody else raised their hand, Coach, thank you. Thank you, guys. That'll do it. A quick one there for Mike Tomlin. Wow. 
Who didn't? Nobody else raised their hand. How do you not ask this guy a billion questions? Uh, <laughs> come see. Come, come back. Yeah, come back. I know, right? Come I, on, I, I got a question. I got a question. Yeah. What? 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 You, what do you think of the? Like, first of all, who practiced today? I didn't get all that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, here's some of the housekeeping. Uh, Anthony McFarland did practice, like mm-hmm. Missy, like Missy Matthews reported uh, at the start again on Training Camp Live. Uh, Cam Sutton did not finish practice today and is being evaluated. Uh, Mike Su- Mike Tomlin said he was unable to finish practice today. Didn't specify the injury, uh, but added that they didn't that they're hopeful they didn't think uh, it was anything significant. Um, what I kind of took, what I found interesting there, uh, Coach Tomlin was talking about the the mock in session Wednesday, right, Chris, where they were mm-hmm. talking about um. Just the practice that you need that you normally get in preseason games that they don't have and every NFL team doesn't have this offseason um, of just, okay, hey, the offense is coming off the field and we're sending on the punt team or the offense is coming off the field and we're sending on the kicking team or the defense is coming off the field and we need punt return to get out there, you yep. know, or, or or whatever it may be. Or, or uh, the defense forces a turnover. Now the offense needs mm-hmm. to get right back out mm-hmm. there. Those kind of changing of units and, and making sure everybody's on the same page and the fluidity of that. He said that's something that normally that you spend a lot of time working on in the preseason. Yeah. Obviously they don't have that. That's one of the things they spent a lot of times on today. He mentioned especially with the special teams units. That's another one of those things, Chris, I'm telling you. Normally we know how it is. Uh, over your and I's lifetime, the preseason in the NFL has, it feels like, loses its emphasis a little bit every mm-hmm. year. It's taken a little bit less seriously every single year. I mean, there's some coaches now in the NFL that don't even play their first teamers at all mm-hmm. in the preseason. Not even for one series, not even for one quarter. They 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 don't play them at all. Um, with the de-emphasis on the preseason, I feel like normally the first couple weeks of the season we see some you know, less than buttoned up uh, teams, units, mm-hmm. yep. uh, moments in this regard. And you know what? It's maybe one of the things that we haven't discussed as much this offseason, but I would expect you're going to see some teams in the NFL that they're going to have some some issues. They're going to have some kinks they need worked out. They're going to have some, you know, to, to borrow a hockey term right here, they're going to have some sloppy line changes no, yeah. in, in terms of personnel in those first couple People games. don't realize, though, that football does have basically line changes. Like, yeah. like, the, like, like you said, the – the, to get the special teams in order, and if you played high school football, you remember this. If you were on the punt team and you weren't on the offense, or you were on punt, you know, punt return team, and you weren't on the, the starting defense, you would have to get in line on third down because you're not, you're not, unless you're in a team meeting where you're right. going over an, a specific change you got to go through. You got to be ready because as soon as the next play comes out, you're running onto the field, replacing the players who are coming off the field, communicating with the guys you're going on with. Oh, okay, I'm here, I'm here. Okay, that's my man, that's my assignment. Let's go, let's go, let's go. All that is happening, and then even during. You know, even before that, it's second down. Oh wait, they're sending in four receivers. Got guys, get out there. You're our four. You're our dime package. Right. You know that kind of stuff. You have to be ready for it all times. And it, and it's so different because in, in in a hockey line change, you can plan it. You could say, okay, we're doing this no matter what they do. We're 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 pushing we're pushing these guys out here with football. Oftentimes, especially for the defense, it's crap. They're sending out their guys. Go, go, go. And Bill Belichick is the master of doing that, of catching you off guard. Because he, what he'll yep. do is, is he'll study and see, okay, which of your groups make the worst transitions? Which ones are slower to get set up, hmm. take longer to make their calls? Not as and, buttoned up. Not as buttoned up. And then when I send this group out here, they're going to pick you apart because hmm. while because we'll call we'll call hike within the first 20 seconds of the play clock while you're still pointing around you're saying, you're I'm like here, you're there. You're chickens with your head cut off. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that, that, that teams sometimes really struggle with. And 
there's times the Patriots have struggled with it too early in the season. Now, Bill Belichick normally cleans that up very well. Uh, but when you get younger players and when you get players that aren't used Absolutely. to your system, it's a natural part of the game. You have to get used to things. And um, that's what the that's what's so important about getting those changes. And I think that's a great comparison, calling you know, calling it you know line changes for the hockey fans out there that think like, oh, that does happen in football. You just don't see it because, you know, as soon as the as soon as the play's over, you're looking up close 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 up looks at Ben Roethlisberger. Right. You're looking at stats, you're looking at things. You don't see uh, like, you know, five to ten people on each side of the of the football <laughs> right. switching in and Chaos out and, and, and the- talking and saying, Okay, this is our new job. So it, it, it's a lot, man, and that and that does take a lot of work and practice and repetition mm-hmm. throughout the preseason and the training camp to get people used to, so that it's it's secondhand nature. Yeah, and I I think it's an, uh, to draw one more parallel in that kind of that line change regard, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same way. Whereas when a line change gets messed up, yeah. right? Yeah, like if uh, you know if. If it's supposed to be Evgeny Malkin who jumps over the boards and Evgeny Malkin and Brian Rust both jump over the boards, Mm -hmm. you don't really notice it normally, right, until the whistle gets blown and all of a sudden you're like, wait, why is the ref stopping the Mm -hmm. game? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's the same kind of thing with this, Chris. Like, you're not going to notice it unless it goes bad. You know, like, you're not sitting there kind of, unless you're like just a real hardcore football junkie nerd. You're not not sitting there looking for these things. (laughs) Guilty. That's hardcore football junkie nerd. That's me and all phases. Hardcore football junkie nerd. I'm going to trademark that one. Um, Yeah, these are those. Just put my picture on that dictionary definition. Those little details, those little, I keep saying button-ups, you know, because Chris is the one wearing, you know, dressed in really nice clothes. Literally and buttoned up right now. Um, Those are the type of things that when they're going smoothly, when they're going well, nobody notices. But if they're costing you yards, if they're costing you points, if they're costing you games, man, everyone's going to be screaming and yelling and up in arms. Agreed. It's it's going to be it's going to be frustrating. That's when they come for the coach, and, and that's yeah. the thing that people I think that people forget is that's when you don't see that many switch ups there, especially when like when there's new guys coming in, like how the Steelers had Cam Kelly starting at safety in that in that season opener last year against the Patriots. Like that's one of those things that Bill Belichick is we're going to pick on him because yes. he's still learning this team. He just came from uh, what was it? Not the, the AAF. AAF. I was about to call him the AFL, uh, but. <laughs> Uh, but when, one of those know, other leagues. One of those other leagues that have tried. I mean, that's so sad that two have tried and failed the past, you know, off seasons. But, um, but you know, when you look at those situations, that's what people are going to take advantage of. Now, when you know, if Minka Fitzpatrick was coming in and having those problems, then that would have been like, okay, what's going on mm. here? Because he's a guy that's normally good at this kind of stuff. And, and once in a while, it happens when something when when something crazy is going on. But if it's a consistent problem, as you see sometimes with the Browns, with the Bengals, uh, you know, with the Washington Football Team. There's a lot of things like that out there where you're like, yeah, you know what? That's not that's not showing any you know you know coming togetherness of you know understanding. And again, early on, rookies and new players and undrafted guys that are learning a system, I get it. But when you're like you know you, you never saw that problem with James Ferrier with the Steelers, right? You know you don't you don't see that problem with Joe Hayden talking to the cornerbacks and, and, and you know he he got everyone on 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 the same page. That's the thing that the Steelers have on point. And that's another sign that you know when when you look for good coaching, you look for that kind of uh, that kind of cohesiveness as far as you know taking care of things. Good call by Chris Carter. <sighs> yeah, I enjoy having this guy with us, folks. I enjoy I, being here. I really do. Let's get those uh, tweets rolling in here. Hour number two of the show, right around the corner at Carter Critiques at Wesley Euler. We will have more for you in hour number two. It's also a Wednesday. 
Ah, uh, little best of the West Wednesday today. Mr. Carter's going to get his uh, his first experience, his baptism, if you will, on the best of the West Wednesday. Simple concept today. I'm I'll, scared. I'll float this one out there early. Let the people start thinking about it. Let it marinate so they can have their lists ready, too. It's a real simple one today. And I should note, this is our last best of the West summer edition. Now, what? Carter, I want to inform you on this because, you know, we're different time slot here, training camp, maybe some new listeners Normally during the season, right? Uh-huh. Best of the West is, it's real simple. Arthur Motes and I just power rank our top 10 NFL teams every week. It's just weekly power rankings. Mm-hmm. Top 10. Yeah. But during the offseason, we change best of the West, and we usually make it top five like something random. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like uh, like we've, we've done bucket list items, you know, sports top five sports bucket list items over the summer. Mm-hmm. We've done um, your top five favorite jerseys in sports over the summer. We've done uh, top five places you want to go on vacation. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. like all different, all different kinds of things like that. This is going to be the last uh, summer edition because next week, It'll be game it's back, week. It's back it'll to the it'll yeah. be game week, and so we will be back to uh, to ranking uh, our best teams, our best rosters week by week in the National Football League. So last for the summer here, best of the West, top five athletes from before your time that you wish you had a chance to watch play. Woo! Woo! I'm excited. But I'm excited. I got some Pittsburgh based ones. I got some non Pittsburgh based ones. Is this just football? No. Oh, any five athletes? What? Any five athletes from before your time? I'm changing my list. That you wish you would have been able to see them play in the flesh in their prime. Oh my god! Oh I got, I got yeah, many. we're gonna have many. some fun with that. So a bunch on the board for uh, for the next two hours. Don't go anywhere. He's Christopher Carter. I'm Wesley Euler, and you are listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. Euler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Good afternoon, Steelers Nation. How we doing? Well, that's good. Me too. Wesley Euler, Chris Carter with you here on the Steelers Blitz, your 24-7 home of the black and gold right here, SNR. Uh, I wanted to take some time here to start out the second hour of the show. We're going to finish our conversation about award winners this season. But on Monday, a, a very important conversation. Uh, Monday, I believe it was Monday evening after uh, after we were off the air. Uh, Cam Hayward, Vince Williams, two of the leaders on this team. Um, a lot of discussions around... Social justice in sports, obviously, over the last few weeks, the last few months uh, in this country. But I think as we approach the NFL season, people are starting to ask, okay, well, what is that going to look like? What's that, what's that going to look like for the Steelers? What is, what is social justice awareness going to look like? What are players going to do? How will they use their platform around the league? And here in Pittsburgh, well, Vince Williams, Cam Hayward answering specific questions about their message, about the points that they want to get across, about the messages that they're trying to convey and how they will do so throughout the year. Here is what two of the leaders of the Pittsburgh Steelers had to say earlier this week. This was from Monday. Considering the events and everything that was going on in the world, uh, we didn't feel like it was appropriate on Thursday to be brash about what we were going to say. So we took that day, we continued to go to work and press forward, and we uh, came together as players and we came with a statement, we made a stance, 
And we thought that there was nobody better than Coach Mike Tomlin to deliver that because of who he is in the NFL and who he is as a person. And uh, that's what we decided to do. We decided to come together, lock arms, and make a stand to show compassion because even though that we may be in the NFL and that we're professional athletes, you know, we're still very sympathetic to everything going on and we still feel that. Um, you know, you can't be blind uh, in what's going on. Um, we've seen too many injustices um, to be silent. And our communities hurt uh, day in and day out. Um, and I'm left with the question, why? You know, um, as we are held accountable, accountable on the field, um, we want to be accountable off the field and we feel others should be as well. Um, along with that, we didn't want to just give a statement. Um, you know, we know, understand statements do a lot, but not enough. Um, and going forward, we want to have action behind that. Um, and through, you know, our, our organization, the Steelers, um, and everybody through this, um, I think we're going to have a lot of change going forward. Uh, with that change, um, we understand it's not going to be done in one day or two days. Um, we want something attainable that is going to be long-lasting, um, constant, um, and provide a better way for our children. Um, as black men, as you see today, um, when we see these injustices happen day in and day out, um, we see ourselves, we see our children, we see our fathers, we see our, our sons, we see um, our friends being shot and killed. And um, for us to say, stay idly by and not make a difference, um, that's a responsibility we can't give up. And we've come together over this off season um, to make committees to move forward. Um, whether it's, you know, our voter engagement, in helping voter suppression and getting rid of that. Um, you know, we've even had talks about uh, trying to do a voter hub and Steelers have been very receptive about that. Um, community and police forums and criminal justice forums, um, working on not only policy, but also police culture um, to hold others accountable um, and education and community investment as well. Um, we understand we have to invest in our community. We understand we have to invest in our children. Um, and through these opportunities, those, those are the ways we can make change. Um, you know, we understand the jobs I've done. We understand that uh, we, we are only a, the minority in this situation, but we have a job to do, and we want to make sure we take advantage of that. All right. Uh, we'll turn it over to some questions. Uh, we'll start with Jerry Dulac. Jerry, go ahead. Hey, Good morning. Um, you know, for the last couple of years, uh, you two, along with Marquise, have been very active with uh, the Pittsburgh police and other departments uh, uh, trying to improve relations in the black community. What can you guys do to strengthen what you've already been able to do um, so far? I think, you know, um, you kind of hit it on the head. You know, Pouncey has done so much um, and uh, he, had, he had to run out, but uh, in he speaks a lot for us, you know, giving back to our community and creating that relationship. Um, but we understand we get to meet the good cops, um, but there are cops not being held accountable. Simple as that. You know, we, uh, we have an opportunity um, to strengthen that 
and to strengthen that when we say the good cops stay in place, but the bad cops don't get to keep policing us. Um, you know, those are things we can do, you know, whether it's a relationship in the community. Um, you know, we talk about how police forces aren't diverse enough, but to do that, we have to be in these communities, we have to be in the schools. Um, so those young children see that black people can be cops and they don't feel as threatened. And then the black people who are cops are able to have relationships and they're able to understand people. Um, this is not something that's just gonna be done in one day. Um, this is something we're gonna have to stay on top of uh, from here on out. And even during the season, uh, even though we're playing games, we wanna stay on top of it as well. Absolutely. Uh, this actually started, we actually met three years ago with, um, with uh, Police Chief uh, Schobert. And we wanted to get out there and just try to change the perception of police in the community because we understand the police relations with the community in Pittsburgh. These are things that we're doing. So we're just not an organization of making, you know, brash or bold statements. You know, we're encouraged to actually go out into our communities and the you know, to take things on as a personal approach to it. And I think that's what we really do since we get the opportunity to do that. I think that's what we more, like, that's what we like to focus on. And I think we've been getting it done, but we just, you know, got to be more diligent about it. We got to apply more pressure. We got to be better about it. And I think that's what we're going to focus on. I think that's where you're going to see our attention focused on as we move forward with this. All right, we'll go to Brooke Pryor, VSPN. Brooke, go ahead. Hey guys, um, in 2017, I know that you know, we haven't had a game to know how the anthem's going to be handled at this point. But in 2017, the plan was to stay in the locker room and to, um, as Coach Tomlin said, not play politics and not participate in that. Um, but this time, it seems like you guys are much more out in front and having the display of unity before the scrimmage last night. What's changed? Why? Why? feel that why talk about everything now and, and be so open about it we've always talked about everything I think personally I can speak from just being here Miss Rooney's developed a culture and still the culture that we talk about anything and everything with anybody in our building from the top to the bottom if I'm having a problem in my life or I'm having a situation that confuses me I can talk to Mr. Rooney about it directly because he's in the building with me every single day we have casual conversations with anybody in our building doesn't matter their uh, race, creed, religion, any of that. Anybody that, you know, put their head in the pile and is a stealer, you know, we have open dialogue with them and we treat them like they're part of the family. So we never really are put in situations where we feel like we have to go out <clears throat> and make these bold uh, public stances because we're encouraged to do whatever we want to do to help our community individually. And I can go ask anybody in the stealer family about what I need to do to get that done. And they're going to do their best to help me out. So I think that now that we're seeing the need and people in the community want to hear from us, we're here and we're going to speak, but we just never felt pressed to speak because we get to go about our life and talk about these things and deal with these things. And we get to get out in our community personally and deal with these things, uh, you know, just as pedestrians and on our own. All righty, we'll go on to Mike Prezuda. Mike, go ahead. This would be for both of you guys, if you would. Was there something specific about Mike Tomlin's words last night that really resonated with you? I think for me personally, um, and I think we both have had we both have had conversations uh, with Coach T uh, personally about it. Um, you know, we 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 all have children, um, and you know 
what what we're looking at right now is not going to get a dump for our children in the future. Um, you know, we we we've had Mason and Dino come over uh, many times and to know that um, they're growing up in a world where they're not accepted is unacceptable. You know, my children, Vince's children, um, they're going to have to see this play out. And the fact that it's getting played out uh, repetitively and it's becoming a theme and it's becoming um, something that's just so um, natural is, is just unacceptable to me. Um, you know, Coach T speaks from the heart and, um, you know, sometimes he doesn't want to just speak for the group, but we felt like this was an opportunity for Coach to speak to the group because we all felt like we were in the same situation as him. All righty, we'll move on to Christopher Carter. Christopher, go ahead. Hey, guys, this question is for both of you. Um, what is what is your takeaway from being a professional athlete in this point in sports history? There's been plenty of, of – you're both black men. There's been plenty of black athletes that have spoken out in the cause of civil rights throughout history, and now you guys are in the middle of what may be one of the most historic moments in athletes speaking out for the cause of civil rights and against police brutality and offer, uh, you know, asking for change in our country. What, what's it, what, what's you guys' feeling on being in this moment and seeing all the change around you? Uh, me, I'm encouraged by it. You know, a lot of times people say that, you know, sports should stay out of politics, politics should stay out of sports. But if you look back at the history, that's, that's never been the case. So I think that I'm encouraged by it because uh, people take what I say seriously even though I'm, I'm just a football player, I say it like that, but I am a human and I do go through things. You know, my kids have a different situation growing up that I'm gonna have. And I have a perspective about that. And I also have a perspective about raising my kids in a, you know, a different environment than I was raised in. And I think me being able to talk to people about that and have conversations about that, it's just gonna help anybody. It's gonna help everybody. It's gonna help me grow. It's gonna help people I come in contact with grow. And if they're gonna listen to me because I'm a football player, <laughs> then I'm encouraged by that because I feel like I'm going to give people an accurate depiction of what's going on. Yeah, along with that, you know, I would just say, um, you know, we're, we, we do a lot in the community. Um, and when we see these instances, we can't be hypocrites. Um, and I can't look my child in the eyes and say, you know, I'm fighting for your future and I want you to succeed when I see this stuff happen. You know, the one thing I am very happy about is to see all these different people speak and to see the resources we've had um, that are way different than the 1960s where we get to speak our minds and we get to reach a lot more people. Um, and we have to continue to do that. Um, and, you know, moving forward, I just hope there's real change to come with that. Just a reminder, please use your raise your hand function if you'd like to ask a question. Um, and with that, we'll move on to Joe Rotter. Joe, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Thanks for doing this, guys. Um, you know, as media and people on this conference, I'm guessing the majority of us in the media are white. Um, what can we do a better job of getting your message out? And are there things that we need to report more on that we haven't? And any suggestions in that area? Um, you know, I, I think along with that, you know, you guys hold a lot of power. Um, you know, and you never know who's watching. Um, 
we get to see all the camera functions and the video cameras on everybody's phone um, be parts of history. Um, but we just ask that when we do make this change, that it that it's written down, that it's you know that's covered. You know, um, me and ben, Vince come from different communities, but we are going to make a change, um, and we just ask that it's reported. You know, because we want to provide um, an outlook where you know we're optimistic about our future, where you know children see that they can be the next Vince Williams, they can be the next Cam Hayward, or they can be a doctor or a police officer. Um, but to do that, um, we really have to see uh, positive changes. All right, we'll move on to Aditi Kinkwabala. Aditi, go ahead. Hey guys, uh, if you'll just bear with me for a minute here, we have seen some people be very, very open uh, Coach Brian Flores in Miami has talked about having a gun pulled on him. Anthony Lynn out in LA has talked about personal experiences that are patently unfair. You obviously, you've said you've taken some time to think about this and Coach Tomlin has sort of multiple times now in the last year told us that he has warned all of you that the words that you say may be weaponized, may be used against you. And of course, both of you remember what happened three years ago after that game in Chicago. So having said all of that, how do you balance fear in speaking up? What do you say to people on your team, be they coaches or players, who have anxiety about speaking up or may feel pressure to speak up when they don't necessarily want to? And how did the two of you balance the feeling of, okay, it's time. It's time to take a position and inject ourselves into this conversation. I don't, I can't speak for Cam, but to answer your question for me personally, we always speak up inside of our locker room. These are things that we talk about all the time. So nobody ever feels like their voices were pressed or they can't speak up. I mean, I've been making politically charged tweets. Ramon Foster makes politically charged tweets. We, you know, we get free range to express ourselves. So we never felt like we were in a predicament where we couldn't say whatever we wanted to say. When the situation happened three years ago, Mr. Rooney addressed us and told us and look the way we wanted to handle it. When we came back and we wanted to have, uh, get, we wanted Mike T to make a statement for us, we told him how we wanted to proceed it, and we were supported top to bottom. I mean, that's just how it works. So I can't really say that. I mean, everybody's encouraged to speak up. So everybody's just, it's like, yo, if you feel like you need to say something that's going to encourage people, say it, but just don't be negligent and always be professional and keep it classy. That's what we're encouraged to do. Yeah, I think along with that is we're up here today. We're not just speaking for ourselves. Um, we're an outlet of our team. Um, you know, there are guys that um, want things to be said but don't know how to always voice them. We're, we're outlets for that as well. Um, you know, we all have a voice and we all want to do things that are near and dear in our hearts. Uh, but we don't always know how to put that together. And sometimes we need the knowledge um, to understand um, and to be well informed. You know, we have a lot of different heads that might have seen different things in the past, whether it's an Al Villanueva or if it's Ben Roethlisberger or it's a Marquise Pouncey. But with that, um, we're not just going to do this thing, you know, half. You know, we want to be full tilt, a part of the cause, and the move forward going, going with it. You know, and we get to a point where we just can't say stuff, you know, and 
if we just say things, then we're just doing half of our jobs. All right, we got time for a couple more. We'll go to Noah Strackbean. Noah, go ahead. Hey guys. Um, the other day we talked to Ben and he said um, that, you know, his stance on this is that he just wants to listen to, to all of you guys in the locker room. Um, what, what would your message be to him or, or has been to him if, if you've already talked to him about it? I think that's between us. Uh, you know, if he's not ready to talk about it and he just wants to listen, we're going to give him that. Um, you know, knowledge is power and he's, you know, he's making his own decision. But for me to share that with you wouldn't be right by me. All righty, we'll wrap it up uh, with the follow-up. Brooke, go ahead. As you mentioned, uh, the different social justice committees, and I was just curious which ones you guys are specifically involved in. And also um, in 2017, uh, like we've talked about, the plan was to stay in the locker room unified. Is there room this time for individual expressions or demonstrations um, or whatever you want to call them during the national anthem or anything like that during a game? That's not something that we've actually discussed, but there's always room for it. We've never been hindered in any way. Nobody's ever told us what we couldn't do. That's just not how we get down. So, I mean, I'm sure we're going to come together as a team collectively and talk about it because that's more in line with, with how we do business here. But, I mean, I don't know. And then along with that, you know, uh, personally, I've been involved in the police forums, on the community. Um, you know, there are some policies that, you know, overdue for change in our community. Um, you know, whether it's Act 111 that needs to be reformed, uh, along with that, uh, you know, banning chokeholds, um, which has already been passed by the Senate, by the way, but is waiting to be passed in the House Judiciary Committee. Um, Demilitarizing um, the police, um, you know, making a charge for false reporting on based on race and uh, an independent citizen law law enforcement review board, which ties directly into Act 111. Those are things we can do um, in whether it's lobbying or speaking with different communities, leaders to help make that change. Qualified immunity as well. Cam Hayward, Vince Williams speaking earlier in the week there to the Pittsburgh sports media. Uh, Christopher Carter, my co-host here, was fortunate enough to be on that call. If you were listening to that whole thing, you heard one of the questions he asked there. We're long overdue for a break here. But on the other side, I uh, wanted to ask Chris about uh, what it was like to be a part of that conversation, what he took from it. We will also get back into finishing up uh, our discussion about some individual award winners in the NFL in the 2020 season as well. He is Christopher Carter. I'm Wesley Euler. More discussion on the other side. You're listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Yesterday we started talking about some award winners, some regular season awards in the National Football League for the 2020 campaign. Let's wrap up that conversation here today on SNR. Uh, We talked about MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, 
and Offensive Rookie of the Year yesterday. Let's switch uh, transition gears here a little bit, if you will, Mr. Carter, Yeah. to the defensive side of the football. We'll start with Defensive Player of the Year. Sure. I mean, Aaron Donald's always a safe bet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the he, you know, he's uh, he's the guy that, you, that that he's the Mahomes of the group. Like, you can easily bet that guy. Are they going to be? Are they going to win enough games for him to win Defensive Player of the Year? That's, that's the bigger question. That's for me. the issue. You got to win at least like nine games right. to win an award like that. Right. You like. got to be in competition. People got to watch your big games. Yes. Um, you got to play meaningful football in December. Right. I think they're gonna they're in a real tough division because you got the Niners, you got the Seahawks, maybe the best in football, and the maybe the best in football right now. It's and and the Cardinals are gonna be up and comers. Watch out for that. I agree. They were they were five ten and one last year. They should they they tied that game against the Lions in overtime that they should have won. And hey, every team has those NFL games that they should have won. But I mean, Chris, if that team gets two games better, the Cardinals, Mm -hmm. that could be an eight and eight team. I mean, that and that's your basement dweller in the division is an eight and eight team. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I agree. You're you're in a situation where um, you could be you could be competing with with so many different teams there. I mean, the reigning NFC champions, Russell Wilson, who may be the best quarterback in football, right with Patrick Mahomes, uh, and then a young up and coming team with Kyler Murray at the helmet quarterback, but who now has DeAndre Hopkins uh, to throw to, and they still got Chandler Jones, and they still got other you know they still got other players to work with. I think that, that that's going to be a tough division for the Rams to just just say, oh yeah, we're, uh, by the way, we're back. Um, also, I think it's interesting that the that division has represented the NFC in the last two Super Bowls. You know what? It's funny you go there. That's what I was saying. Uh, that's where I was going next. Um, the NFC West, right? Last two Super Bowls with the uh, the the Niners and the Rams. Then you had the two that the Seahawks went to. Um, you also had the one that the Niners went to when Jim Har- or, yeah when Jim Harbaugh was still the head coach. So get this, Chris. Um, in the last one, two, th- wait, make sure I'm doing this right here. One, two. Where's my color coordination key here? Come on, don't don't fail me now, baby. <laughs> okay, here we go. So since 2012, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. In those eight years. The NFC West has had the NFC's representative in the Super Bowl five times in the last eight years. I mean, you think between, about that. It makes between sense. Between the Niners, yep. the Rams, yep. Seattle twice, yep. and then the Niners in, in, in 2012. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense that the Niners making that run. Wow. Um I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at you look at the you know the Niners early on were really strong. The Seahawks had their run with the Legion of Boom. Um, the Rams just popped up. The Niners are back again. And then even if you go back even further, you know you're talking about the Cardinals yeah. with Kurt Warner, Warner and Kurt Warner, Larry Cardinals. Fitzgerald. Yeah. Uh, when you know the and it's funny the Steelers knocked two of them off with the Seahawks and the Cardinals <laughs> they did. They did. in the span of three years. Um, so is that is that a safe bet to happen again in your mind, or maybe not a safe bet, but if uh, uh, should be a favorite. That between, obviously the Niners and the Seahawks, but you've also got the Rams and the Cardinals too. You think there's a good chance that the uh, the NFC representative in the Super Bowl comes out of that division again? I don't know though, man. The NFC South too. NFC South's tough. The Saints uh, and the Bucks. The Saints, the Bucks. I think the, the Saints are my favorite. They, like they they eventually have to crack Jeez. the NFC championship and get to the Super Bowl. I just I feel like they they've been there way too much for it to not happen. You know? Yeah. Um, but man, I just I. It's tough looking. It's tough betting against Russell Wilson. They continue to. I remember they've got Jamal Adams now over there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really liked. I really like what Pete Carroll does as a head coach. It, it's tough to too. bet against that team. 
It is. It is. So defensive player of the year, uh, according to the preseason polling of uh, NFL Network members, uh, Aaron Donald one, Miles Garrett two, T.J. Watt three, Nick Bosa four. Mm. You know what? I think it, just because of what we just talked about, the winning games element, I think I would lean towards T.J. Watt and Nick Bosa before Aaron Donald. And because you know how this works, too. Like, it's not right, but people just get voter fatigue with these type of awards. Yep. It's like you and I both know LeBron James should have way more MVPs than he does. Sidney Crosby should have two or three more MVPs than he does. People just get tired of voting for the same dude every year, so we come up with reasons to give it to Russell Wilson instead of LeBron James. You know what I mean? We come yep. up with reasons yep. to give it to Taylor Hall instead of Sidney Crosby. I think that could be starting to happen to Aaron Donald in a little bit. You know what I mean? That like his greatness is just it's like baseline expectation at this point. You know what I mean? So when he goes out there and he does what Aaron Donald does, we're all just like, yeah, that that that's what Aaron Donald does. Whereas, you know, if Nick Bosa goes out there, for an example, and has, what, a 20-and-a-half sack season like Aaron Donald did two years ago uh, in 2018, uh, I think voters would, would fall in love, would, would rush to hand the trophy to even a Miles Garrett in that same that same kind of vein, Chris. If, if he has 20 sacks, 19, 20 sacks this yeah. season, yeah. Uh, I think— He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna get a lot of favor. People want— to root for root root for him, even though he did the crazy stuff last yeah. year in attacking Mason Rudolph. Yep. Um, people, Minka uh, and, Patrick and, and, got a vote on this list. Yeah, uh, I mean Minka's Minka to me is the dark horse because if he gets if he gets more targets this season, which teams will try to throw away from him, but if but if it's if he starts making those type of you know those type of big turnover plays and more of those pick sixes, you know we saw him do that in games last year against the Rams and the Colts and making plays like that. Imagine if he does that to the Ravens. Imagine if yeah. he does that on a big stage when the Steelers are 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 the you know the best team in the AFC or competing to be the best team in the AFC, and then he does that in a game that propels them above. That's gonna get him not Polamalu status, but you know of the ilk of yeah. saying. People are going to recognize him and say, you know what, that guy is the reason. He he's he's the guy in that defense. But here's the other thing: T.J. Watt gets the same, is going to get the. Yeah. I think it's going to be the same thing. And, and T, if T.J. Watt has another 14 plus sack oh, se- what if season, he gets up to 17, 18, 19. I mean, well, if he gets in there, I think I think just give him give yeah, him the trophy because I, I think do so too. I do think it's going to be like the distinguished gentleman. Just switch the switch the Watt name in, and, and you just win. Did I just go over your head with that with that movie reference? Distinguished distinguished gentleman. It's an Eddie Murphy movie. It's not one of his most famous. Basically, the plot of the movie is that he has the same name of, of a politician that died. Okay. And yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen that actually. It, it's and a good I think one. I'm pretty hip to Eddie Murphy, but I don't know if I've ever seen that. It's an under. It's under. It's one that like kind of deals with politics in a really serious okay. way. Okay. But um, in the movie, basically, he uses like one his, of those movies that you watch it when you're a kid, and then you think it, you like it, but then when you grow up, get a older, bit, it's, you, and you're like, oh, this is what this was actually about. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and it's it's one of those movies where I mean, the plot is just basically he shares the same name as a famous like politician he runs for their seat and everyone just votes for him but then and, you know he, he's this he's this black guy who's a con man and but then all of a sudden he cares about people and now he's helping people but now that he's helping people the other con men in politics are trying <laughs> to take him down yep. but it's the same thing with i i, I make that because that's what's going to go on with Watt. now Watt's not a con man nor is he a fraud he is the real deal yes. but i think that there might be people who might just say you know what we're used to seeing that Watt name let's give this guy yeah. a little bit of recognition oh. here i i you I know like and that. there might be some who push back against it but he puts up big numbers i think people will be happy to, to say you know Dale Lawley said it on the DK Steelers podcast that we do daily uh, he he said we were comparing the Steelers front four to superheroes he said that TJ Watt is Captain America he's Steve Rogers you know he's he's yeah, the he's the he's the language kind of guy on the team 
team, but yeah. he's also the kind of guy on the team that's going to take on Thanos with no powers, just pick up Thor's hammer and just drop the drop the hammer on Thanos' head. You know, so that's Are uh, you saying TJ Watt has America's backside too. Is that what you're telling me? Yes, yes, that is America's backside. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, but anyways, seriously, you how I, I, I made it more PG. Yeah, way to go, way to go. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Can we say that word on air? I think we can. I don't know. We're not going to test it. Yeah. But the point we is, probably could, we probably could. But we're not going to. You you get that if you're an Avengers fan. You know what joke you we're know making. What joke we're if making. you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, shame on you. For six weeks. And, for, <laughs> and in those six weeks, <laughs> you could watch all like what twenty eight. Yeah. Phase one Marvel yeah. movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. All, you just watch all of them. But anyways, point being, T.J. Watt, I think is going to get that kind of recognition. Yeah. Minka is going to need the plays to come to him a little bit more this year because teams are looking to avoid him now. Um, but there's no avoiding T.J. Watt. I mean, unless you want to double-team him and give Cam Hayward and Stephon to it and Bud Dupree free reign, by all means, go right ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think Watt's a good, a good stealer to put in there. But just, you know, the both the Bosa brothers are in really good positions to have those type of yeah, years. for sure. Um, you I know think, who's my dark horse guy? Who's your dark horse? Devin White. See, I, the only problem with Devin White is I, I think he still needs to polish his game a little bit I more. I agree with you on that. I just think he makes a lot of violent jump-off-the-screen plays. And, right, you and I know that even though these are individual awards, like we just talked about with Aaron Donald, mm-hmm. your team has mm-hmm. to have a certain amount of success. You're not going to win defensive player. The You know, if um, if T.J. Watt has 20 sacks, Chris, but the Steelers go 6-10, and 10, T.J. Watt isn't winning defensive player of the right. year most right. likely. Um, I think, you know, like we talked about, a lot of big games for the Buccaneers. They're going to be in the spotlight a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of national games, a lot mm-hmm. of eyeballs. I think – with that defense around him, yeah. like they've got a very sound defense around Devin White that's going to kind of allow him to be a Tasmanian devil in the middle of the field. And you watch their last four or five games last year, and he really came he started on. To put, he did start. He was better. If, but if but I'm don't forget Shaquille truly, Barrett's like there. Horse, you know what I mean? If I'm I'm going with truly yeah. like someone with long odds, someone off the board, I got he, you. he would be my guy, I think. Uh, I you're know. right. He needs some polish to his game, but mm-hmm. I really – I mean, I, I really think he can be – the next Bobby Wagner, Luke Keekley type. You got to see. We got to see that improvement here from year one to year we do. two. We do got to see him but and I be think, more consistent. Like I said, those, with those last throws. four games of the the season, I was very impressed by what he was able to do. And you know, I think he's got a talented defense around him. Enough. They're going to command enough attention. They're going to win enough games. Mm-hmm. You know, if I wanted to, you know, chuck ten dollars on somebody at, at at long shot odds, I like your Mega Fitzpatrick call too. Um, and I think Devin White would be my guy. An- another another guy. Don't forget about Kevin Byard. Oh um, yeah, that's because a good call. I like him at safety a lot. And the Titans now might have a complete team. I mean, they were they were really close last year to putting some things together. He might get more of a look if Honey Badger has you know has you know with 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 the with the Kansas City Chiefs. If he's able to put together a complete season, um, and, and you see the Chiefs putting up numbers, but if he's making big plays because people are putting up big numbers, people are going to see that and they're going to be like, okay, we we got to acknowledge that. That's pretty good. That was our thoughts on NFL Defensive Player of the Year. On the other side, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk Comeback Player of the Year. We'll talk Coach of the Year and Defensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, I wonder who we could discuss in this conversation. I'll give you a clue. But his name rhymes with Lace Hung. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we'll jo- find I'm joking. Out. <laughs> You'll find out on the other side. He's Chris Carter. I'm Wesley Euler. This is Steelers Blitz on SNR.
This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. on SNR continuing our award prediction conversations we move to defensive rookie of the year did you figure out yet my lace hung His name rhymes with lace hung pace tongue pace tongue Ooh, yeah out of the quick what rhymes with Ohio garbage uh- <laughs> <laughs> My man, we we finally got. I agree on our college jokes now. Um, I ha- I think the defensive rookie of the year really is a two horse race, but I will give you a uh, I'll give you a dark horse. Ah, sure, horse sure. race, dark horse as well too. Uh, Chase Young and Isaiah Simmons. Uh, Chase I Young, love Isaiah. Simmons. Me too, me too, buddy. I wish. You know what's funny is like I remember during um, the draft, I was doing shows, you know, with Moats and doing shows with Crowley, and we had a bunch of our our draft coverage is always great stuff here on SNR. And I remember seeing your tweets and being like, ah, I wish I could, I wish Carter and I could talk about Isaiah Simmons, because I love this guy too. Um, I don't know if Chase Young fits the bill of this team's going to win some games, because I don't think his team's going to win some games. Nah, but he, I think I think they got a long year ahead of him. He might be a, a a rare exception to that rule. And hey, I mean Kyler Murray won Offensive Rookie of the Year last year on a team that only won five games. True. Chase Young is going to, you know, he might not have Carter. The week to week, the play by play, the drive by drive production, the consistency. Right. But he is going to make a handful of plays mm-hmm. in this season that they're going to be played on the Sports Center top ten. You know, they're going to be <laughs> they're going to be retweeted twenty thousand times on Twitter. You I know, agree. like eye popping, pad popping, holy crap, this kid's only twenty one years old mm-hmm. type plays. Um, and then Isaiah Simmons. I, I think Isaiah Simmons is going to be a revelation. He's going to tie that defense together nicely that already has some nice pieces in Chandler Jones and Patrick Patterson and Buda Baker with his fresh contract extension. And I do think, like we just talked about, I think the Cardinals are going to win enough games. I still think they're a year away from being a playoff contender, but I think they're going to win enough games right. that he would be in a conversation like this. Don't sleep on. Is this your dark horse? Jeffrey Okuda. Ooh, His real name is Jeff. It's that's not a Jeffrey. good call. It's not a dark horse. He's the third overall I mean, pick in the draft. He was the third overall pick in the draft. But don't sleep on <laughs> Jeff Okuda. I, I I really liked his tape. Yeah, not, he's gonna and, be fantastic. And, and not that anyone shouldn't dis, should, should dislike his tape because he was that great and it was obvious why he was the third overall pick. But like he has, there's some cornerbacks that you're like, you know, it's excited to see them. No, like he has the pedigree to be the next Darrell Reeves, the next guy that, that that's that's the best cornerback in the NFL for like five Denzel or six Ward, years. And Denzel yeah, Ward exactly. Had a really good rookie year. That's what I'm saying is that Denzel Ward was really impressive to me, but he grades to me higher than what Denzel can do, just because he does everything that a cornerback does, and the way he responds to questions. Like someone, you know, tried to kind of question, like, uh, you know, do you have any? Uh, how are you working on to improve your hand fighting to avoid pass interference calls? He's like, what pass interference calls are you talking about? He's like, up. Oh. Uh, he's like, no, no, which games? And he's like, I, I made that up. And, he's like, and, he, and he dismantled this reporter in meeting. I remember that. Was that at the combine? I think it was at the combine. Yeah, I yeah. feel like I remember that. And I was just like, that's so impressive that he not not only are you this top tier athlete. 
but you just calmly just broke down this attack on you when you could have just given the standard, you know, I'm just working on it and right. doing my best. Right. You know, to talk sports ball because that's what a lot of athletes right. are trained to do at right. this young age. But no, he had the wherewithal to do all that. And again, part of a major program, fought his way through that, became one of their best players. I love Jeff Okuda. I think he's going to be a heck of a player for the Lions, replacing Darius Slay for them. Um, and and I, I really want the Lions to to make a move at some point. Like I want I want Matt Stafford to to have a have a yeah. day. You know, know, I'm not saying I want them to win the Super Bowl or anything <laughs> like that. I'm just saying I want them maybe to make a playoff a, game. Win, win a playoff game or two. You know, become a relevant team for a little bit. I have so many Detroit friends that are good people. And like so many weekends, I would watch with them, and they would just be like, "No, no, don't believe in anything, Chris." Like, like it, it got. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, it's hard to say, like, in a way, right? I feel like definitely Buffalo Bills fans and a cer- a certain portion of Cleveland, like those loyal football fans that have just been starved for decades. You know, they yeah. use the term "deserve." Yeah. No, no, no fan base, no team has a, a divine right to success, but. They deserve to see their team have some good times. But it's harder for me to say that, right? Because if I'm thinking about the Bills and the Browns having success, that Mm -hmm. likely comes at the expense of the Steelers. The Lions can have all the success that they want, Chris, and the Steelers wouldn't have to see them until the Super Bowl. So, yeah, there we go. We found our our tortured (laughs) team that we can pull for in good conscience. Let's go, Lions. Let's let's win nine games this year and get in as a wild card, huh? How about that? And I'll tell you, like, there was one night where – I was watch- so I I spent a lot of law school watching with several uh, friends from Detroit. Like we went, to- I remember going to the to the Lions game against the Steelers here, where they did a double renegade and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And during those times, like I would sit in bars and like I would watch the football games with my Real Detroit quick. friends. Sit in bars? Sorry, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Wait, you mean you, you mean you time. went in and you got takeout back right? in 2013 when house. we used black and white film in 2013 to film things? Uh, no, but seriously, yeah, back back before the times wait, of... Wait, was that back when there were still concerts, too? Yeah, there were concerts, there were events. Grandpa, tell me about like, the concerts! God, I can't stand you. But, um, no, okay, anyways, we're, we're talking about... I, I got so used to like just seeing them like have joy, but in their joy was f- so fleeting that they understood that it would be fleeting and to not rest on that joy and not think that they had something. To the point where it was like three or four years ago... Where the, the 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 Lions are playing the Packers, and I'm watching it with my old man, and we're talking about it, and the Lions have a lead, and there's like two seconds left, and Aaron Rodgers has the ball on like the 40 yard line, and he's like, "Well, I'm marking this up. They've already won." I'm like, "Pops, before I go, like I'm telling you, don't do that, my friend." <laughs> I like, remember my, exactly I, what you're talking about. And, and and sure enough, then the line the the Packers get a crazy penalty that extend the game, and then Aaron Rodgers hits a hail mary pass, and he like looks at me, and I'm like, "My Lions friends have told me this." Similarly, with the Bills, uh, there was so rest in peace to Buffalo Blues. Used to be one of my favorite wing spots in Pittsburgh. Um, it was right on Highland Avenue and Shady Side. I don't know if I was ever there. Um, it was. It, was, it had some great wing nights. Buffalo Blues. 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 Okay. Buffalo Blues. It was, but it was a Bills bar in the city of Pittsburgh. Interesting. And on Sundays, the front of the bar would have every game on, and every team's fan, every team would have fans show up. We, there was a strong Washington contingency. There was a strong Packers contingency. Huh. There was a strong Steelers contingency. They were all over the place, and there was a strong Lions group. But in the back big room were the Bills. Fans, the Bills Mafia. Now they wouldn't be jumping off tables and breaking stuff, but they would do their "You make me wanna shout" whenever they, whenever they, whenever they score touchdowns. But there was like there was times where like they they had their code. You didn't you didn't say good things about the team outside of like "Hey, good job on that play," but you never said like they're in a really good position. One time I'm sitting there, I'm watching the game, 
and I'm with I'm amongst them, and they're playing the Patriots, and they're up 20 points, and I'm like I'm like yo, they look like they Let got go. them. I said I said they look like they got they got these boys running, and they got they got these boys, and then like three Bills fans are like no, you said it though, why'd you say it? What'd you do that for? I'm like what are you talking about? He's like now nah, we're gonna lose. Sure enough, sure enough. Tom Brady <laughs> comes back. They win by like 14. And as as everyone's like getting up, leaving, they they're like they're booing me. They're like, "This Thanks guy ruined it for all of us." Thanks you, a lot, Chris, buddy. Thanks, Chris Carter. You we hate you the, for you life. With the wrath of Buffalo. Oh my gosh, I definitely don't. I was I was walking into Heinz Field last year, getting ready to cover that game for DK Pittsburgh Sports, and I I I was with some friends from Buffalo who came in from out of town. I just saw them in the parking lot. So I was like, "Hey, how's it going?" This is like long before the game. And they weren't part of the crazy crowds. They were like a really nice group. Aaron Gormley, one of my best friends, love her. But um, when we were, I was hanging out with her crew, we saw a group of Buffalo people jump off of a car onto the table. Oh yeah, break the table, like everything. I've I even videotaped. It was the most insane thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, geez. And she's like, yeah, this is actually tame. I've been in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Like like so it's just, mm-hmm. uh, but. Like those are the tortured fans out oh, there yeah. that I feel for, and that's why I said I, I'm I'm looking for Jeff Jeff Okuda with the with with the Lions. I, I think like he it. can do some stuff. I like it. Yeah, I, you know, we do a lot of times in like not we by me and you. I mean we like in sports talk radio a lot of times the worst fan bases in sports, right? And I don't mean worst in the sense of like like they're bad people. I just mean right like we talk a lot I about got you. I we got talk you. about Miami fans and we talk about LA fans, right? And it's a lot of nice weather cities where, you know, if their team's not doing so well, they kind of tune out because they can go to the beach. Buffalo's the opposite of that, Chris. <laughs> I mean, they got the Sabers, they got the Bills, and they got really bad weather. Yeah. That's that's. That, I've, and I've seen like, that snow, man. That that snow is ridiculous. They are so stinking loyal to the Bills and yep. the Sabers. Yep. And yeah, like I said, I know that you know the Bills play in the same conference as the Steelers. The Sabers play in the same conference as the Penguins. So for a Buffalo sports team to have success, there's a high probability that it could come either in the way or at the expense of a Pittsburgh team having success. But those are those are uh, that's a fan base up there, the Buffalo Bills. That if good things happen to that team, uh, uh, it would be really hard to to get upset about it. <laughs> right. right. I mean, they, I think they, the Detroit been... Lions are the same way. Now the Browns, we could figure out some ways to get oh, upset. Oh no, the, because the Brown the Browns are like those, uh, you know, they're they're the guys. I mean, I mean, look, look, they win one game for the first time in cool. in, in what six or seven years, and. They, and they attack, and, and and you see what happened with Miles Garrett, and then you see how there were so many people that were just not ashamed by it. They were like, yeah, I mean, like there's people that were making Christmas ornaments of the picture. Yeah. I mean, like that's the kind of stuff that's like, ah. like like when the Bills beat the Steelers, it's like you know what? They were happy about it, and they were like, you know, and it's, it's like you can't be mad at them. Like they they did well last year. They made the playoffs, almost beat the Texans in a playoff game. Um, but the Browns are different, um, and and, and the, the Bengals are also different in that way. Like they 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 hold this this kind of weird regard. This it's just like that, you know. You guys take this to an extra level, yeah. and you think of Vontez Burfitt, you think of what Miles Garrett did. I mean, I remember in the uh, the 2015 playoff game uh, when you know the fans. You know, I remember fr- friends who had gone that were that were fans in the stands. They had to get escorted by security because they were getting pelted with garbage. Like it was just, it's rough in in those Ohio towns that don't win playoff games for 30 yeah. years. Yeah, for sure. Could never be us, right? No, never be us. No. Uh, two hours in the books another hour to go on the other side we will give our thoughts on comeback player of the year and coach of the year to wrap up this conversation he's Chris Carter I'm Wesley Euler you're listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR 
Hewler and Motes are on the air. This is the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Christopher Carter, Wesley Euler with you here. Another 60 to go. So that means we'll get to your tweets in this hour. Get them in at Wesley Euler at Carter Critiques. Uh, we'll also have a little best of the West here this hour. But first, we finish our conversation about individual award winners in the National Football League this season. Two more categories to get to. Our penultimate category here. Come that, back. What's that? What's that? Player of the Year. <laughs> According to NFL media, uh, two favorites actually tied for first in preseason votes: Ben Roethlisberger, of course, and Alex Smith. Mmm, I always forget about Alex Smith. Cam Newton third, Philip Rivers fourth, Rob Gronkowski fifth, Bradley Chubb sixth, AJ Green also receiving vote. The Alex Smith has the real storyline working in his in his favor, yep. right? Like you and yep. I know how a lot of these things work. Like a lot of times the the optics of what you're coming back from, you know what I mean, play mm-hmm. into this. And yes, Ben Roethlisberger is coming back from a various, a very serious injury too, but not one that literally threatened his life. You know what I mean? Like, like there was a time where they thought Alex Smith, if he got a certain leg infection, like he could have lost his life, he could have lost his leg. Yep. He was away. He's been away from football for two years mm-hmm. now, I believe. Right? Like. Yep. That is a guy that if he has success, writers will be very quick to want to give that guy the award, and you could certainly argue rightfully so. I'll say this, though. Again, to win these type of awards, you your team has to win games. Yep. I, I, one, I don't know how many games Alex Smith is going to play in. Not I feel you, like right. he's more there to be a mentor to Dwayne Haskins yeah, and, and a feel-good story around a franchise that, mm-hmm. let's be honest, needs, needs, some, good feel P- good needs some good PR. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's going to play enough. And two, if the Washington football team are going to win enough games for him to garner serious consideration for an award like this. I just don't see it. I agree. I mean, it's so impressive. It'd be nice if I was wrong. It'd be a good story if I'm wrong. I just I don't it, see it. it. It's so impressive to see him working. It is. It's and, awesome. And to see him moving. It's because awesome. Because that, that injury was so terrifying. That's a win enough alone. Like yeah. The fact that he's legitimately it, back it, out it, there is a win enough alone. If he, it, It's like Shazier. The fact that Shazier was walking is the victory there. Everyone's like, oh, I want to see him play it. No, 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 no. The fact that Shazier is hanging out, he danced at his wedding, mm-hmm. that to me is the is the true victory there. If, yes. If Alex Smith simply just, just, just is moving around, is happy with his family, that's the that that's the true victory in this. Now if he steps out on a football field. I mean that's just otherworldly nonsense. That's just like how how did that, how does that work? But um, I'd say if we're talking about the the two top candidates, Cam Newton, Matt Stafford should be in there, right? Because he was hurt last year a little bit, wasn't he? Uh, he was, but he was not on. I think he would qualify. He I mean, would, he, he listen, would. if Ryan Tannehill qualified last year, Matt Stafford should certainly qualify, qualify this year. Right. <laughs> the only thing Ryan Tannehill came back from last year was being benched. You, exactly. Uh, I mean. <laughs> and, and and here's another thing. If it's comeback player, 
was Ryan Tannehill ever really there? Like, when you come back, player, it means you were somewhere. Ryan Tannehill's never been the dude. Like oh, he's, you rude. I, no offense to him, but <laughs> when were you scared? When 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 were you pre-gaming a Steelers game against the Dolphins? You're like, oh, man, they got to get ready for the Ryan Tannehill. He's going to – I saw he's going to destroy them. That is never a thing. That was never a thing that the, uh, anyone said in a, in a pre-game. But I will say this, Cam Newton – Former NFL MVP, you know, after all the things that happened and after getting dunked, he's with the Patriots. He's in a system that, you know, er, you know, everyone says is a system. Friendly to quarterbacks. Right. That could be one, but I think that the primo, number one, the guy is Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, I agree. He's in the system that he knows, that he trusts. He has good weapons. He has a defense to back him up. I think it's – I think it's 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 really it's, – it's, 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 there's a really good shot here I that agree. the – um. That, that that Ben Roethlisberger is going to be the guy. I think so too. I think Ben is the is the clear favorite to me. I'd have Cam Newton and Philip Rivers listed after him. I think if Gronk went out there and had a great regular season, Chris, you know, ten touchdowns, thousand yards receiving, something like that. I just don't know if that's going to be Gronk early. Like I think Gronk's going to make some key plays for Tampa Bay. I think down the stretch and in the playoffs, he'll be crucial for them. Maybe. But it's going to take him time to get going. We already right. saw him two seasons ago. What looked like his body was starting to break down a little bit. It's going to take him time, even if he has recovered and gotten healthier, which I'm sure he has to a degree, and he's still only 31 years old. But it's going to take him time. I feel like it'll be week, you know, six, seven, eight before he really gets going. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be enough to win an award like this? I don't know. The dark horse for me is Bradley Chubb. Because I think the Broncos have a, a chance to have a really good defense. Uh, I think if Vaughn Miller bounces back from kind of an underwhelming year last year and Bradley Chubb is completely healed from that ACL, if he goes out there, you know, Chris, and puts up 14 sacks, um, I think Bradley Chubb will get a lot of consideration uh, for that as well. Comeback player of the year. That's fair. Bradley Chubb, I think, is an interesting He's, one. I don't know how you feel about him, but Moats and I are both fans. No, I'm a fan of Bradley like, Chubb. We, we yeah. think he could be he very good. He could be very the real good. deal. Yeah. Uh, last but not least here, Mr. Carter, Coach of the Year. According to NFL Media, uh, polling number one, Bruce Arians. Number two, Sean McDermott. Number three, Bill Belichick. Four, Cliff Kingsbury. And then number five, a three-way tie between Mike McCarthy, Andy Reid, and our very own Coach Mike Tomlin. Why am I not surprised that Mike Tomlin's at the bottom of that top five? You know? <laughs> well, to be fair, I think they... They did it alphabetically, McCarthy, Reid, Tomlin. But No, 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 I'm, but I'm saying the fact that he's listed fifth. Under under all those other guys, yeah. Um, you know, I I think that's fair. Bruce Arians could be in a really interesting situation. We'll see how that that, that Belichick's an interesting one too. Belichick, I mean, it's like come well, on, if they man. find a way to go nine and seven this year, though, like you know, he's gonna get some some it's talk but, for Coach of the Year. But here, but here's the thing: he went and got a formal NFL MVP that's quarterback. True. That's true. But they're Mike not gonna Tomlin, look at it like that. They're gonna say right, he lost the goat uh-huh. and, and still made the playoffs yep, the next year. Yep, and, uh, Mike Tomlin went eight and eight. With Devlin Hodges and Mike Zedrow, no, no, didn't no, even no, get a look. On, hold on, hold on. Went eight and six. Thank you, thank you. You're right. I, I, I knew you. exactly where you're going. With it. He thank went you. eight and six. Eight and six with nobodies. And I say that very nice because I I study those guys, <laughs> but they are not Cam Newton caliber. They're not even the same sentence, other than the fact that they exist in the NFL together. Yes. If if Bill Belichick gets so much praise for for going nine and seven with Cam Newton over Mike Tomlin going eight and six. With Devlin Hodges and Mason Rudolph, it's just gonna it's gonna show how broken the the the, vo- the voters are in, in looking at that objectively. That I that agree. would just be obscene. I, I do think Andy Reid should be in the conversation again. I do too, but I also think he's got that. Maybe it's similar to what I was talking about with Aaron Donald. You know, like what 
what are the Chiefs going to have to do for Andy Reid to win Coach of the Year now? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they're going to have to win 13, 14 games and steamroll everybody, you know? Because yeah. the Chiefs go 11 and 5. Everyone's saying, oh, okay, well, you win 11 and 5. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be hard for Andy Reid. Like, the Chiefs are going to have to have a near perfect season for him to win an award like this. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, he's got some of that. Like, Bill Belichick has gone through that. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, Greg Popovich never wins NBA Coach of the Year. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like that, like that type of thing. Um, I think Andy Reid's kind of in that territory with how good his team is and the high expectations there. Um, Cliff Kingsbury is an interesting one to me because you yeah. know yeah. second year as a head coach. If that team goes eight and eight, I think he could garner a lot of consideration. You know who my dark horse in this conversation is though for Coach of the Year? Who that? I I hate that I'm saying this, but well, I got two actually. The first one makes more sense. Frank Reich. Okay. Indianapolis Colts. Well, Philip Rivers goes there. He bounces back. I mean, I don't think it would. I wouldn't say it's it's likely, but would it shock you if the Colts won the division? I don't think it would shock me if the Colts won the division. Wouldn't shock me because the Texans are not in a good position. After right. The Titans. Their, who knows yeah, the Titans, what's going who knows on what's there? Happen there. And the so Jaguars like, are a basement team. Frank. Frank. Right. I, I get that. They, I'm, they, I'm looking over win. my shoulder because I feel like Tom's pulling your leg. Like he's got a gun pointed <laughs> at you right now. Because I know that that's Tom's favorite guy. I love here. Frank. Right. I loved him first. All right. Because I was in Philadelphia. I, I loved him was, first. I was in Philadelphia <laughs> when he was in Philadelphia. All right. So Tom could step up. You're you're the hipster fan of. I was here first Tom <laughs> um the other one John Gruden Sad. in Las Vegas yeah. with the Raiders he's the personality um, he's buddies with all the guys that vote on this award if the Raiders knock on if wood the, if you hear me if yeah, the, yeah, that dumb stuff if oh, the, uh, if the uh, Moats and I have a joke on the show knock on wood if we don't talk baseball so oh, okay um <laughs> If 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 the Raiders their first year Las Vegas go nine and seven ten and six they end up back backdooring into a wild card spot in the playoffs I could see a lot of John Gruden you know manufactured uh, love going on from the absolutely, national media absolutely I, I could definitely see the John Gruden love because I mean he's also been part of the media and all of that so. Um, I just I, I don't buy into the John Gruden hype. I haven't for years. I mean, I, I think he did a great job with that Buccaneers team the year that they won. But overall, you look at his draft picks over the years, and you just see miss after miss after miss, yeah. and you see how how his teams have fallen apart. I don't. I just don't buy into his Gruden grinder hype. The stuff that he that he says, and and I'm not saying that he shouldn't sell it and he shouldn't believe himself, and you know he shouldn't get any of the money that he earned. You know, he's he 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 did what he did in his career. But for me, nah, I'm not. I don't put my money on, on John Gruden. Frank Wright is one I think that, that could be looked at. Um, I'm interested to see if the Chargers are really good this year. Could Anthony Lynn get some consideration this Ooh. year? Because they have several defensive pieces. Yes, And they they're do. bringing in Tyrod Taylor. Oh, man, the loss of Derwin James just oh, that's sucks. So sad. Yeah, it's just, but you're right. Tyrod Taylor is a professional quarterback. If they're if they win they games can, with him, they could win nine games. Yeah. They could win ten games. Yeah, if they if they if they and if they make the playoffs, if they if they beat out the Broncos and make that wild card spot because the Chiefs are winning the AFC West. I don't care what anyone says. Yes, if they make the wild card spot, even over, if there's a fire, right? Um, um, over the Broncos, over the Raiders, get in the playoffs, and they sneak somebody. Then the people might look at them charges and be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, look what they look what they did." Even though they gave away their 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 super court their franchise quarterback Philip Rivers, they're out here crushing people. Uh, Anthony Anthony Lynn might be a dark horse for you there. It's a good call by you. Thank I you. like I, I like that. Okay, last one as it relates to this of the young coaches, right? So, well, not young. Maybe that's the wrong way to put it. Uh, and new with a with a new franchise. Okay, so not young coaches, but with a new franchise. So. The Kevin Stefanskis, the Ron Rivera's, um, the Matt Rules. 
Who else do I want to throw into this conversation? Stefanski, Rivera, Matt Rule, uh, Joe Judge. And then you know what? I'll also throw in Zach Taylor and Brian Flores as well, since last year were kind of you know unique first years mm-hmm. for them on teams that were clearly rebuilding and, and resetting for this year. Of all those kind of young, either with their first year or second year, could you throw Mike McCarthy into this conversation? Any of those guys that you would think would have a shot to win Coach of the Year this year, if you had to pick one? Run, run for me again. Run for me again. I got I, I, I to Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Ron Rivera, yeah, uh, nah. Kevin Stefanski, Zach nah. Taylor, Brian nah. Flores, Matt Rule. Um, Flores is your best shot there. I think that if the Dolphins, if, especially if, if Fitzpatrick or Tua step up for the Dolphins and they put up a fight in the AFC East, especially because this is the murkiest the AFC East mm, will have been in the, in the If they make a playoff run, Flores will, could could get some some recognition there. You know, he's a Belichick disciple, so uh, I think people will definitely look at that. Check that out. Um, uh, I think I think that that Flores could be. I mean, and he deserves credit for picking them out of the dirt last year because yeah, they were they sure. were set. I remember being sure. in that press box against in the Steelers Dolphins game when uh, Deontay Johnson scores that touchdown on an all out blitz. I saw the Miami beat riders who were just like. Tell me this team isn't throwing. <laughs> Tell me this team—they're not tanking. They're tanking, and then they're all arguing with each other. And I'm just sitting there cracking up. But, but I mean, that's how it felt to them. And then after that, you saw the Dolphins start to put pieces together, win some games. Um, you know, I I think that if if he does that with the Dolphins and they're a competitive force in the AFC East and they and they win a division that's not locked away, and don't forget the Bills—they they, they Tre'Davious White's not playing this year. Yeah, they they got some question marks themselves. The Patriots—we got to see how they're gonna be. The Jets are good luck. <laughs> if the Dolphins sneak some stuff and put it together and they make the playoffs, people might be looking at, hey, look at you, Brian Flores. We'll yeah. give you some, some some love there. I like it. I like it. That's a good call by you. Christopher Carter, Wesley Euler, uh, our number three here inside the Electric Factory. We've got about 45 minutes to go on the other side. We will continue some of this discussion. We'll also hear from Marcus Allen. Uh, he's been moving around, maybe a little position shifting for Marcus Allen. We'll hear what he had to say uh, around today's practice. He's Chris Carter. I'm Wesley Euler. You're listening to Steelers Blitz on SNR. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold SNR. Training camp media availabilities are presented by the Ford F-150, by your neighborhood Ford store, pardon me, and the Ford F-150 is the official truck of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Wes Euler, Chris Carter with you here on the Steelers Blitz. And speaking of Steelers media availabilities, uh, one of the guys who spoke today, Marcus Allen, uh, playing safety, playing linebacker, playing deep, playing in the box. Uh, he is comfortable playing wherever the Pittsburgh Steelers want him to play, and they think he has the skill set to do it. Here is what Marcus Allen had to say earlier today. Marcus, um, you know, obviously the first time we saw you, you, you down there with an inside linebacker has kind of raised some eyebrows. It looks like it's becoming a serious thing. I'm just sort of curious how this development came about, and have you ever kind of played that position at any point uh, in your life? Yeah, um, I played the position in college. At Penn State, Penn State used me more, mostly in the box, and um, you know, that's so I'm like I'm kind of familiar to, uh, to the position. 
Alrighty, let's go to Mike Prezuda. Mike, go ahead. Hey, Marcus, Jerry Sasky was on with us recently, and he kept bringing up the fact that you like to run into people. You like to hit people. How long has that been the case, and do you have a particular hit that, that you really savor from over the years? Um, you know, I mean, Jerry always said it the best. I mean, that's, that's, that's my game. I love hitting. Um, I've been hitting – since Little League, to be honest. Uh, so far as the physical part of it, um, I'm not too worried about that. I'm, I'm very excited about just being in the box to play and show showcase my talents. All right, let's go to Jenna Harder. Jenna, go ahead. Hey, Marcus. What is it about this Steelers defense that makes you guys so intense, so, you know, well-revered among the league, kind of along those lines? I'll say just the, um, you know, the history of the, uh, still, the Steelers defense, you know, and just having those hard-nosed, um, you know, players in the back in the day um, and keep the reputation going, you know, uh, Jack Lambert's and, Jack hands like that. So when every every day we got Coach T and Coach Butts always reminding us of how to play football and then that's and football is built around hitting, so that's what it is. All right, Mike Asty, Mike, go ahead. All right, we'll move on to Brian Backo. Brian, go ahead. Hey, Marcus, how you doing? Good. Good. Uh, I have a two-part question for you. First, uh, just quickly, I wanted to ask if you uh, did you bulk up at all this off-season, and what are you uh, what are you weighing in at now, knowing that this was a possibility? Um, this off-season, I was just working out. You know. Regular, I always, um, always in a weight room, um, I, and then I hit the field, uh, do my DB drills. To be honest, doing one on ones and stuff like that. But um, as far as my weight, like two fifteen. All right, Thank Brooke Pryor, Brooke, go ahead. Hey, Marcus, uh, I've you know you're a guy. I feel like we at least I hear your nickname Chico shouted a lot on the field, uh, you seem like you have a lot of energy. So just curious, where does the nickname Chico Hendricks come from? I know it's your Twitter handle. And, and where do you get your, your energy and your kind of big personality from? Um, I mean, I just try to be myself. That's just been me. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I get it from my mom, you know, probably my mother. Uh, she's very energetic. So um, as far as how, how I be on the field, I play with a lot of passion and emotion, so um, it just comes out when I'm out there on the uh, gridiron. All right, we'll go to Bo, Bo Marciani. Bo, go ahead. Uh, Marcus, um, you talked a little bit earlier about, um, you know, playing that linebacker-type role at Penn State. Do you feel more comfortable actually at linebacker than rather say safety? I mean, I feel comfortable wherever they want me to play, to be honest. Um, uh, that linebacker role is nothing different from like playing the dime role when I was at Penn State, coming down, uh, you know, reading the blocks, reading pullers, 
um, setting edges, all those things. Uh, safeties have to do that in general. I mean, now in, in today's football, they come down in the box, they got to add on. So far as that being new or anything, I wouldn't say that it's, it's foreign to me or anything. It's just, just regular football for me. All right, we'll go to Hugh Ringer. Hugh, go ahead. Uh, yes, Marcus, I know that uh, the position you would play at linebacker is kind of a hybrid uh, linebacker position, uh, but it's inevitable that you're going to butt heads with some offensive linemen who weigh more than 100 pounds, uh, obviously. Now, what have you heard and what has Coach Osavsky maybe talk to you about as to how you can overcome your size disadvantage and yet make plays in those situations. Speed. All right, let's go to Teresa Varley. Teresa, go ahead. Hey, Marcus. One time when you and I talked, you said that when you were a kid, you used to play in the backyard and pretend you were Troy Polamalu. Is that kind of where, you know, you refer to Little League as when your hitting, hard hitting started? Was it watching a guy like Troy growing up that kind of gave you that to drive that inspiration to hit like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, all the safeties that I looked up to, Troy, Sean Taylor, you know, uh, guys like that that just, you know, give it, give it their all. So I always try to implement that into my game. So. When I was a kid, I always, always wanted to be like Troy, to be honest. All right, we'll uh, go to a couple, few follow-ups. Brian Vacco, Brian, go ahead. Hey, Marcus, given how much you've moved around in camp, uh, I'm guessing you've probably had the chance to, to square off with all three of the new veterans on your offense in terms of Eric Ebron, Derek Watton, and Stefan Wisniewski. What have you seen out of, out of those guys being – um, newcomers, but also players who've been around the league for a long time now and, and maybe even with a few different teams? Uh, you can tell that they're true vets. Um, they go about their day. Um, they have a set a set schedule on what they, how they go about their days, um, take care of their bodies. Um, Ebron's always, uh, you know, keeping the energy up in the, on the offensive side. So to have that energy matching our energy on the defense is uh, just a great practice. Every day, we come out there and have great practices. All right, let's move on to Chris Adamski. Chris, go ahead. Hey, Marcus, this being, you know, year three for you, do you see, um, I mean, what kind, do you put any kind of, I don't know, pressure on yourself to, to have a breakout year this year, kind of, you know, a pivotal year in your career? Do you see yourself at a crossroads, kind of establishing yourself in the NFL? I feel as though, you know, take one day at a time and just, you know, compete be ready to play football. I am only look at all that. All right, last couple. Brooke, uh, did you have a follow-up? Yeah, Marcus, just wanted to follow up. What where did the uh the uh the Chico nickname come from again? Oh, oh that came from back home like high school on Maryland. People used to call me Chico, so it just stuck. And then like I like I like future uh albums, so I put Hendrick behind it. Chico, like how you spell it and everything. That's just for Instagram, but everybody called me Chico in high school. Where did Chico come from? I mean, why why do you think they called you Chico? I look Spanish, but I'm not. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. 
All right, we'll wrap it up with Mike Brazuda. Mike, go ahead. Hey, Marcus, you were dropping some names from the 70s a little while ago, the Steel Curtain. How, how long have – you're a little young to appreciate those years. How long have you had an appreciation of that Steelers history, and where did that come from? Oh, man, I got, I got Steelers history in my blood, you know what I mean? I've been a Steelers fan my whole life. On my father's side, I got family out here in Homewood. Uh, so I've been watching Steelers and being taught about legends since I was a kid. My father always keep me updated. Marcus Allen speaking to the Pittsburgh media. Versatility going to be the name to his game, it sounds like, this season. That was uh, Marcus before practice today. Again, all the audio that we play here for you, presented by your neighborhood Ford store, the Ford F-150, is the official truck of the Pittsburgh Steelers. One more segment to go, so you know what that means. Last chance to get those tweets in. We'll do a little best of the West and answer your questions, comments, uh, concerns, and reactions on the other side. So get those tweets in at Wesley Euler, at Carter Critiques, or forever hold your peace for the next 21 hours. We'll wrap up the show on the other side. You are listening to Steelers Blitz. Wow, wow, West. This is the Steelers Blitz with Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. I am the Wild Wild West, and this is my segment. Ha <laughs> ha, there you go, boy. Hey, you some Kubo D up in here. It's time for a little Wild Wild West on a Wednesday before we get to your tweet. Simple concept, right? We just power rank things. Next week, we'll be back power ranking best teams in the National Football League. So this is our last kind of goofy, fun, wild, wild west for the summer. And it's real simple as always. The top five athletes you never saw, athletes that were before your time, that you wish you could watch play live. Mr. Carter, let me start at the back. Number five, I got Mike Tyson. Iron Mike Tyson, baby. Mm. Now, this one to me uh, mm. came down to That's a good one. Came down to Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson. The difference for me is, I mean, both of them they kind they had the persona going. They had the, you know, I mean, like they were more than just great athletes. There right. was there was a lot of entertainment that came with the production of their fights as well too. The difference for me. Mike Tyson was just maybe more of a you know a knockout artist, more of kind of a bully, you know, where Muhammad Ali was just it, it, just insane. You know, yeah. Mike Tyson was more just brute strength. I feel like he would have been just incredible to watch. Like I would have loved to have gone to a Mike Tyson fight in the '90s. Mike Tyson, number five for me. Number four, I got some local flair on this list, obviously as well too. And this was an easy one, even though I'm not a huge baseball guy. Mm-hmm. Roberto Clemente. Mm-hmm. Uh, hearing my grandpa talk about Clemente, hearing anybody who watched Clemente play baseball talk about Clemente, uh, not only was he incredible, one of the best players in the world, he was also one of the best dudes in the world. Again, not a big baseball. Remember, knock wood if you don't talk baseball. But I, I love Roberto Clemente. Uh-huh. He, I, I mean, I, you, I can't be a yinzer and not have Roberto Clemente on this list. Number three. Okay. Now, this is where I might lose some yinzers, but I don't care. It's my list. Yeah, uh, number three for me is Maradona. He was an Argentinian soccer player, played for Barcelona and Napoli in the 80s. Uh, a lot of people will tell you he's the greatest, most talented soccer player of all time, World Cup champion. Over Pele? 
That's the other. See, Pele's in my honorable mentions. Yeah, the difference Pe- for me. Pele's my one soccer guy. The, the difference, the difference <laughs> for me between those two, Chris, is mm. let's just say Maradona had a reputation for being a bit of a party boy. Oh, I see. So he had a reputation for uh, you know being out late night before the game, but but still yeah. showing up and dominating. So I just think somebody who was just that much better than everybody mm-hmm. else, even yeah. if he was you know half no, hung, you. even if he was half hung over when he was out there for the game, mm-hmm. like he some of the highlights of him in the eighties, just running down the field past everybody. Like I would have loved to watch that dude, Maradona. Number two on my list, mean. Joe Green. Oh, I mean, what are man. we talking about oh, here? I like to oh, see boy. him. I like to see him just ragdoll some offensive linemen for you know mm. for hours mm. uh, down at uh, down at Three Rivers Stadium. Yeah, Mean Joe Green. Like I said, there's local flair on here. There's there's national flair. Mean Joe's certainly up there. The guy that changed the Steelers organization forever. The the guy that defined the steel curtain. Uh, the most iconic football player in the Steelers organization. You know, we could talk about Mr. Rooney. We could talk about Chuck Knoll. In terms of guys on the field, it's Mean Joe without a doubt. He's number two for me. Before I get to my number one, real quick, my honorable mentions were Major Harris, former WVU quarterback and Heisman runner-up. Jim Brown, another guy who just, if you got my grandpa talking about Jim Brown, I hope you had at least two or three hours to spare. Uh, I mean, Jim Brown was like Jesus out on the football field, according to my grandfather. Bobby Orr, uh, who mm-hmm. just revolutionized mm-hmm. the game of hockey from That's a, a defenseman one. standpoint? Pele and Jerry West. Uh, those are my honorable mentions. But the number one on my list, Mr. Carter, and I did see this guy play a little bit, but it was at the end of his career. I'm talking like late '80s, early '90s. Mario Lemieux. I mean. Come yeah, on. Mario's no, no, the, no. That's, that's, that's a great one. Mario's the guy for me. Um, you know, I people like Josh Yohe and Phil Bork and and guys that are, you know Mark Madden next door to us here that have that have covered hockey forever. The way they talk about Mario and like I said, I got a little bit of that. You know, when I was nine, ten, eleven years old, I remember going down to the igloo and watching Mario play with my dad. But not the same as it would have been, you know, if I was the age that I am now. So Mario, number one on my list. So again, number five, Mike Tyson. Four, Roberto Clemente. Three, Maradona. Number two, Mean Joe Green. And number one, Le Magnifique, Mario Lemieux. Chris Carter, what say you? All right, my number five, Dr. J. Great one. I always wanted to see my, my dad always talked about how his high-flying dunks were revolutionizing what, what, what people could, could see at a basketball game, making it more exciting in the, NBA, in the ABA and then, and then bringing an NBA title to Philly. Just that cool factor of what, what Dr. J represented, Julius Irving. For sure. Got to be in my number five. Number four, a guy that you mentioned. Jim Brown. Yep. Jim Brown. Just everything I've ever seen of the highlight. I just I would love to sit there and just watch as people saw. Like, man, how is he just faster and stronger than everyone on the field <laughs> at the same everyone. time? And to see that kind of dominance, I would have loved to see. Number three, I go to that steel curtain defense, but I do not pick Mean Joe Green. Ooh. I pick Mel Blunt. Ah. I would. I, like lo- it. I would love to see and study because all I see are the highlights of Mel Blunt, and I can't. I can't like study. You know the game tape, like you know the the all axis. Sure. You know, there's not the all twenty two no, angles from the nineteen seventies. <laughs> right. I would love to just sit and watch his footwork and how he would just press people and move about the field and just study that and see how that could be applied more to today's game and see what he did on top of just having the natural stride of a gazelle. Because he just, when he opened and he ran, like Carnell Lake said that Mel Blunt was, or was it Tony Dungy? I think it was was Tony Dungy. He said uh, Mel Blunt was running a 4 4 flat like when he was ready to retire. Like, 
That's insane to me. That is crazy. Um, so Mel Blunt, and that's my, before like dudes were training to run right, forty. Exactly, he was just, in a in a specific. There, time. there was no combine. He was just <laughs> right, he was just doing right. that. Imagine Mel Blunt in today's day and age yeah. where he, if have he all had all the like technology. three or four months to practice doing the forty before he actually did the forty. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, number two is a cheat here. We're going with a one-two punch in the number two. Uh oh. It's because they played on the same team for I a like, while. I like Benning rules. Josh Gibson, Satchel Page. Great call. Crawford's, Homestead Grays, those guys, I would love to see the Negro Leagues. They were the two biggest legends of the Negro League, you know, along with Jackie Robinson mm-hmm. and Larry Doby and a bunch of other guys. But I would love to see those two just dominate. And how They say that I think both were on the 1932 Crawfords, and some say that was the greatest baseball team that ever lived. Hmm. Um, I'd love to see that group do damage together. I'd love to see Satchel Page and Josh Gibson and like, you know, and when people build the field of dreams and they and they, they talk about the black the, the black socks and, you know, bringing back that that Chicago team or bringing in Babe Ruth. I, I you know, I if you ever watched the movie Soul of the Game, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Um it's an HBO movie. Okay. It's about the Negro Leagues and it's about the transfer from the Negro Leagues right when Jackie Robinson's about to get called up and the like how what the politics were within the Negro Leagues of themselves. Hmm. And it's Satchel Page. Melroy uh, Delroy Lindo plays Satchel Page, and Josh Gibson um, and, and, and Jackie Robinson. It's the three of them kind of dealing with that. And in that, they talk about how there used to be an all-star game between the Negro Leagues and the Major Leagues. And in the majority of those games, the Negro Leagues would dominate the Major Leagues. And the Major Leagues would always find excuses. Oh, we don't take it seriously. Right, but yeah. They could. Uh, it's just a throwaway game. We right. don't care. Yeah. But, but, you know, but the, I would love to see those guys. But my number like one – Without any, so actually, before like I'll do like you do before I before number some, one some HMs on, some also receiving votes <laughs> on, honorable mentions was Mean Joe because I did want to bring him out there Roberto Clemente like you said I always wanted to see what he could do Dave Parker it's a good one, um, one. Uh, the cannon that he had the home run ability he had Magic Johnson one of my favorite basketball players Great of all one. time another Laker Kareem Abdul Jabbar fantastic uh, would want to see him and uh, also making my list since I know you're a soccer guy is Pele I would want to see some Pele there with we that. go there but the, he the, is. the bicycle kick just looks too cool. Cool, man. Like, and that's the one thing in soccer. Like, if, if you guys were all just like Pele, I could watch the sport. But not when you're just being cross country runners all day. And I just I see two plays the entire game. You know. Funny story for you. Uh, a few years ago, okay. you, you you remember Tim Howard? He was the yes. United States yeah. goalie who was like yeah. like one of the best. Every, goalies everyone in the was world. hyped on him. Yeah. And, and and I remember watching a couple games Played. and being like, oh, he's good. He uh, I believe has the tied like joint tied. Uh, World Cup record for most saves in a game. He had 18 saves in a game against mm-hmm. Belgium that one year for for the United States. Uh, but he played in England, right, for like 10 or 11 years. So he is he's certainly the most I think accomplished um, American soccer player of all time. Now Christian Pulisic will probably have a say in that pretty soon here. Uh, the young American who's playing for Chelsea from Hershey, PA, actually the Pennsylvanian who's over there playing for Chelsea. Uh, but Tim Howard one time during one of the World Cups, I uh, had an uncle at my house who's n- not really a soccer guy, right? And we're, we got the game on, and he I think you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this. He goes, uh, you know, he's, he's asking me about USA this and how what are our chances? Are we even any good? Da, da, da. And I go to my uncle. I say, hey, uncle, you know, Tim Howard, the United States goalie, he's like arguably the best goalie in the world. Yeah. My uncle looks at the TV. He looks at me. Mm-hmm. He goes, Wes. He goes, every soccer game I watch is one nothing. How's any? They're all the best yep. goalie in the world. Yep, yep. That's, the, that's a great point. I agree with him. I agree with him. Why, you know, every why, soccer game I watch is one nil. They're one all the nil, best goalie in nil, the world. And then my favorite are nil-nil games where nothing happens. You wasted three hours of my life watching a game where I watched people jog for three hours. No one got hit, 
And the ones that got slightly tripped were, oh, my God, my pinky toe. Get out of here. I don't watch that stuff. Anyways, my number one athlete that I would go back in time and watch in his moment, Muhammad Ali. I would specifically go and find him between 1965 and 1967. Ooh. 1965, he takes the belt off of Liston. Mm-hmm. From there to 1967, before he's – his belt, his belt is stripped, stripped yeah. because he he protested again. He would not Vietnam. go in, in the in, yeah. in the draft, um, and he almost went to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, standing up for his rights, true American hero, right there. Um, in those years, he was undefeated. He was truly untouchable in those fights. Like when you go back and you see some of them, the one some of the ones that you still have footage of, like the Floyd Patterson fight that we mentioned, when when he's beating him and he's like, "What's my name?" And he, I mean, he could talk to you while pummeling you, or while just standing there and taunting you while you throw everything you've got yeah, at him, and just dodging. He's just like and, like swatting you away like you're a gnat and, in the and, summer. And not even doing the rope a dope because the rope a dope when he was older was when he didn't have the agility to keep dodging you for 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 all day. But um, he would he would be able to do that to you and mess with your head. And then at the same time, like there's a there's a clip on on YouTube. If you look it up, just look up Ali eleven punches three seconds. Count three seconds. He throws eleven punches, and the and the eleventh punch knocks his opponent out. Like that's how great he was in his prime. Uh, an, a, a, a story from a, a famous boxing writer, I forget his name, but he said that in the in the time when Ali was banned from fighting, he wanted to train. He still wanted to work, and it was like it was like it was like sixty eight or sixty nine, and one of the contenders was some Polish fighter. I forget his name too, but I, I remember this documentary that ESPN posted and. In this in this fight, uh, Ali went to his training camp and just said, you, you, can I get some work with you? And the guy's like, of course, you're Muhammad Ali. I'll get to So for four rounds, Ali didn't throw a punch. <laughs> he just dodged the man. <laughs> and the guy couldn't get a, get a glove on him. And after the fourth round, he kicked Ali out of his camp. He said, get out of here. I just, no. Like, you're embarrassing me. This is, this is, this is very, this is rude of you. And, and but that's how nasty he was. Is that he could just mm-hmm. dodge people forever. That's how elite and athletic he was. He's the greatest athlete of all time. He's the greatest American athlete of all time. And I, I think across the world he represents. And also for his humanitarian efforts. Like people don't realize. Like that. Like where there was a man that was going to jump off of a ledge. Ali say, talked him off the ledge. Like went on the ledge, talked to him, pulled him, pulled him back. There were hostages being held in the Middle East that were about to get like you know be be sacrificed and put in the middle of a, of, mm-hmm. a, of a war. He pulled them out. Um, you know, all that he represented to black America, to Muslims around the world, to black people around the world. He is a true American hero, a true a true hero. And one of the shining examples of why we should not try to push away the idea that fighting for human rights should be separate from sports. Muhammad Ali, I would go back and see how good he was. There's a a, a little a little off here, but there's a there's a, a weird anime right now on Netflix called Baki. It's like this ultimate mm-hmm. fighting tournament thing. It's it's insane. It's really crazy. Like the fighters in that show, like they eat grenades. Like they're <laughs> they're inhuman. But in the in the movie in the in the series at one point in the second season, they uh, like one of the great fighters in the tournament talks about how Muhammad Ali was the greatest thing he ever saw. And he tells us, like, he's like, Muhammad Ali, if he had fought in those next three years, he would have been able to beat even, like, the Bruce Lees of the world. Right. And because that's how that, – and just with his hands. Sure. Like, he said, like, that's the reverence that he gets across all cultures. So, Muhammad Ali, for me, I'd want to see that prime. I would pay if – I, if I was rich and I could go back and do anything, I'd go <laughs> back and see Muhammad Ali fight in those late 60s. I'd want to see him dominate everything in his path.
And that you would, my friend. That you would. Uh, we're up against it here for the end of the show, so I want to get make sure we get to this tweet. Me on Twitter asks, uh, important question. For dinner, I want to order some wings, and I've got three chain restaurants to choose from. Choose wisely, said in the voice of the old guy from Indiana Jones. Love the reference. Quaker Steak and Lube, Buffalo Wild Wings, Chili's. Uh, I don't know if I've had wings from Chili's, at least not in a long time. I haven't had wings from Chili's. I would go Quaker Steak over B-dubs, I think. I don't know. It depends on where you get them from, because I've had some Quaker Steaks that have not impressed That's me. That's true. Uh, normally, I like Quaker Steak's wings better. First B-dubs, of all, what you doing? Go to Big Shot Bob's B-dubs you want flavors change. better. Well, to be fair, I mean, you know, we're international here on SNR. Me might not be in oh, Pittsburgh Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. This might not be Pittsburgh. Okay, okay, yeah. Buffalo Wild Wings would be my go-to, just because I've had some not-so-happy experiences with Quaker Steak. Um, but they've also, I think Quaker Steak... Kind of downsized in how many places they had, Correct. but up, but upped their their improvement in the wings. I so I, you know true. what? I take it back. Go with Quaker Steak. I think that that, that, that you have I'm gonna a say fun Quaker time steak here. Too. I'm, I'm gonna go with there. But if you're if you're local in Pittsburgh, Big Shot Bob's. Big, well, that's that's the chain that you go with. Yeah. But if you want real wings, I know where you're about to say. What am I about to say? William. William Pitt Tavern. Tavern. That's the joint right there. <laughs> that's the joint right there. Hey, yeah, my man, get my man Bear. If you listen to me, that is my joint, man. They, like you get the kitchen sink wings or the or the spice. Ranch wings, oh, they just get me every time. My favorite wing place in Pittsburgh is actually a brewery in Carnegie, Insurrection Ale Works. Oh, it's not no, far Insurrection's from, amazing. It's only about seven minutes away from here, Chris. Oh, that's a good point. That's we, my favorite wing spot in Pittsburgh. When the world opens up again, can we go? Yo, buddy. <laughs> you, you, know, you know my wife, Morgan, because again, Chris and I, friends in real life, not just friends on the show, you know my wife, Morgan. She is like... Because Insurrection is opening uh, another one, another you know brewery in the Strip District, I believe, um, and like they're going to open both of them back up, I think, at some point in the fall, you know, like to actually go in and sit down and all that stuff. And yeah, uh, my wife Morgan cannot wait. So yeah, Insurrection. Whenever we can go back and sit at a bar, we we got a we got an SNR date for some Insurrection wings for sure. We got to get out of here. Uh, let Matt Williamson, Dale Lolly, and Mike Pursuta. Uh, get to the training camp report from 6 to 8. We will be back tomorrow on a Thursday. 3 o'clock is always the time, and you know where to find us on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Steelers Nation Radio.